jam-packed bumper-sized Empire podcast this week. We're joined by the great Greta Gerwig, star of Noah Baumbach's latest White Noise. Plus, we give Lamborghini the man behind the legend star Frank Grillo a Frank Grilling. And we're joined by some friends among a spy among friends, Damien Lewis and Nick Murphy. All that and more on the movie podcast that will remain a movie podcast and not just devolve into a Liverpool FC podcast just because we happen to be joined by two huge Reds. And that's got everything to do with me being professional and nothing to do with the Reds being frankly diabolical right now. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning as ever. Our geek queen, Helen O'Hara, is here. Hello. Hello. Hello, Helena. Reaching over the table to lean into the shared microphone. And every now and again, as you know, listeners, we we like to augment the show by having a pair of famous buttocks in our rotating, revolving fourth chair. <laughs> and what's better than one pair of famous buttocks? Well, two pairs of famous buttocks. For the first time ever, we have... I'm fixated far too much on your buttocks already. So but uh, for the first time ever, we have visiting <laughs> famouses occupying both the third and the fourth chairs. Because next week sees a launch on ITVX of the brand new show, A Spy Among Friends, which charts the complicated relationship, <laughs> to say the least, between notorious British spy turned Russian agent Kim Philby and fellow SAS agent Nicholas Elliott. Guy Pierce plays Philby and the brilliant Damien Lewis plays Elliot, and we are joined by Damien Lewis. Hello, sir. Good morning. Good morning. I was just pissing and I thought I'd drip in. Good, good morning. <laughs> I did not expect an aloe aloe reference from you. I, <laughs> I probably could be cancelled just for just for bringing an aloe yeah. aloe reference. No, no, it's totally yeah, it's fine. fine. Officer Crabtree is a beloved comedy character. He's the one with the big booby doos. <laughs> <laughs> the fleshy knobs, the fleshy knobs. Oh my God. We've started already. We have started already. And uh, we're also joined in the fourth chair by the director of A Spy Among Friends, the also brilliant... Equally brilliant, Nick Murphy, or you know, are you happy with being slightly less brilliant than Damien? No, I'm equally brilliant. I might just my buttocks aren't as famous is the only, the only difference. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm equally brilliant. <laughs> Round of applause for Damien Lewis's buttocks. Uh, Damien, uh, we've only just met, but I feel we can talk about your buttocks. Have 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 the general public been exposed to them? Um, well, <laughs> yes, there was that night in Vegas, uh, <laughs> and it, uh, yes, the general public. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, yes, yes. Uh, well, I've taken my... Uh, well, actually, I had the conversation... This is very weird. We're talking about my buttocks mm. um, so early. I, this, wasn't where I, I, this wasn't where I had planned I the conversation to go. I was talking about my buttocks at a birthday party uh, only two nights ago. <laughs> because <laughs> in a scene uh, of Billions, another show I've recently yes. been part of, there is a hot tub scene, and uh, my character, Bobby Axelrod, atop a sort of penthouse balcony overlooking downtown Manhattan, strides up a few steps into a hot tub where there are three beautiful, um, suspecting women waiting. And um, I was going to uh, offer to perform this part myself because uh, Bobby Axel was approaching the uh, the hot tub naked, entirely naked. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I just, I just, I just felt it was just unreasonable for these three young women to be presented. <laughs> At quite such close proximity with my lunchbox. And um, so I just said, I think this is too close for everybody because they were, yeah. they were right at uh, buttock, uh, front bottom height. And so I, uh, I, so I auditioned buttocks uh, to be my bottom double getting into, which is a strange process in itself. But I managed to find a pair of buttocks that were 20 years younger than mine. <laughs> 
And <laughs> lo and behold, and so would the, you uh, believe? It? I love the way you're. I love the way you're dressing up. But your your buttock those, insecurity and those buttocks with a feminist uh, issue have been so well received. <laughs> they have, I, I, and everyone to this point, because I've now blown it, believe them to be my buttocks. What were you looking for in the in the buttocks, if I may, if I may probe this delicate subject a little bit further? Don't probe, please. <laughs> don't probe the buttocks. <laughs> no, no probing. I think, well. I, I think high and tight. High and tight. High and tight. I, high and tight is high all tight. I wanted. Like right. a military haircut. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Start highbrow. That's my that's my motto on the Empire Podcast. Uh, but welcome both. Welcome. Uh, Spy Among Friends. I've seen the first two episodes. Uh, it is absolutely fantastic. I happened to be walking past the set in Greenwich. You guys were shooting in Greenwich for a little bit last year, mm. uh, Nick. And I mm. happened upon happened upon you shooting a, a couple of scenes. One with Damien and then another night with, with Guy Pierce. Mm. Uh, uh, it's a heck of an achievement, I have to say. Well, it do- I mean, what that night you were with us, Greenwich was doubling as a London theatre and a Viennese cafe. And the, the show, wow. the, well, the show jumps all over the place. The show, the show takes part in. Let me get this right. And a London bus route. And a London we went bus route. Round yeah. and round the yeah. same square. Round the square. Decker. Yeah. <laughs> but we in the show we've got London, nineteen sixty-three. It's set between the thirties and sixties, and it's London, Moscow, Berlin, Vienna. Beirut, Istanbul, I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. The English countryside. I mean, it, it, we, 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 we went everywhere. So Greenwich doubled, and then we went to Bucharest for a lot of the other, the, the sort of more... Bucharest, incredibly. Was you amazing. can shoot, convincingly, yeah. Moscow, Berlin, Istanbul... Beirut. And Beirut, mm. all in Bucharest. Mm. We incredible. think it's convincing. We'll yeah. leave you to be judged. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, incredible. No, it did. It all was, in one uh, city. And yeah. Beirut in those days, Beirut in the 60s was, was not... A sort of dusty Middle East feel. It was mm. a much more sort of. Uh, it was the, the Riviera of, uh, of of that part of the world, then. and Bucharest did that beautifully. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's, it's such a meticulously researched show as yeah. well. But your yeah. directing style, I've always found, has been quite a, a very very modern one. Uh, well, that... funnily enough, I, this is a good time to to bring in the 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 uh, our absent father, really, Alex mm. Carey, and Alex was the writer and creator of an adapter of the books. Uh, uh, Ben's book and uh, and very much the father of the show and the showrunner. He doesn't like to be called that, but that's that's, that's strictly what we should be, really be calling him. Um, and he, even when I first met him, he said that he wanted, although he wanted it to feel grounded in the period, he wanted to feel it was the sensibilities of modern filmmaking behind it. And I and that's something that's easy. That, that's a very clear indicator for me to to go with. But the the yes, as a as a filmmaking style, marrying the period. And it feeling authentic to the period, but but um, with modern sensibilities was was a key, a sort of key marriage really, and that's what I loved. So it, its references, as we were doing our research, come from Cassavetes and from Weir and Lemaitre and Pollock mm. and that sort of thing. But but similarly, you don't just slavishly say, "Hey, they did it this way, so let's 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 us do it this way." Um, and it's a case of uh, of taking that inspiration, and sort of wearing it, but not uh, being too ri- rigorous with it. But added to that is this. In the show, there is this element of of magical realism, which which is unlike, for, yeah. un, uncommon for the genre, mm. which was in Alex's scripts and we, and uh, from from the outset, and we've we both developed together. But the that that was fun as well. So folding that into into what is otherwise a you you expect a spy genre, but its behaviour is very is very different to that. Has been that's been part of the fun of it all. 
I guess that I mean so that magical realism is something I've already seen in the in the first episode and a half that I managed to fit in this morning. Um, but um, but you know, was that about getting into I guess the psychology of the characters because it is so much about paranoia, distrust, broken trust, broken mm-hmm. promises. Um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of, a lot of um, uh, directorial style can be sort of un- unrelated to what the show what films are about. I think this is the flaws that the problems that people fall into what this show is about is is point of view it's entirely about obsessively the structure of the scenes alex is writing is obsessively about point of view so we it was legitimate to develop a visual grammar that 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 while whilst the the recollections and the experiences of our point of view characters are trustworthy we don't portray their lies. We we see, we always see a true version of it. It was legitimate to extend that to extend a visual grammar that spoke of a deeper psychology. So the relationship between when Damien is asked a question by somebody that that their mind immediately goes to something else, and then we see actually he, we hear the lie he tells, but we've already seen that his mind responded to uh, in a different way mm-hmm. and went somewhere else. We're asking the audience to always assess the meaning, the the background. What does that mean? What does he? What does she really feel? What does he really feel? What did that mean when he said? To to the constant constant interpretation. It's a, it's not a passive show. This it's a very active. You need to lean into it and be an active part of it. So the the delivering uh, the the material that the audience can work with and use use to infer meaning. Um, was 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 central to it, and that was. Uh, and I also, I've I've always loved it. I've always loved, particularly with a naturalistic style. That's why I think it works so beautifully and beautiful mm. um, in Ritu's film. The 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 way it just effortlessly just slops into it and then disappears from the show completely. And um, even um, even in Prophet, and uh, uh, where that, that that's embraced, and, no, and and you never feel any less verisimilitude or truthfulness to the scenes. It's just that it can exist. They can coexist in the naturalism. And and Damien, as a as an actor, does that does that pose a particular challenge for you in terms of that the attacking that magical realism or showing one thing that that, that Nicholas is feeling, but he may obviously means something else completely different? Does that does that impact you? Uh, yeah, only because it's fun to play. It's the most certainly it's challenging and stimulating to play that when characters are concealing um, real truths, um, and the spy genre just offers you that. In abundance, um, it's a sort of it's a it's a great heightened uh, cauldron of of human behaviour being in being in the espionage world, and you can really explore uh, all the things Helen just mentioned: you know, the deception, truths, untruths, distrust, love, betrayal, joy, and happiness when it happens, but then not even knowing whether to trust that. Fully, so it really explores the sort of dark side of the human condition constantly, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's why it's such fertile ground, actually, for relationship dramas. Relationship drama, what awful phrase! But <laughs> John Le Carre, of course, was the master of that, and that's why he's very difficult to adapt to film because the plots can be labyrinthine, and they can all, but they can also not be the most important thing. Mm-hmm. He's a literary crime writer, and the, the way he fills out and fleshes out his characters is what makes him so fun to read. You know, we really know those characters by the end of a Le Carre mm-hmm. book. We mm-hmm. know their psychological uh, leanings, desires, hopes, wants. Um, and that's what we try to do here. You know, there's, and, the, and, and there's a, 
There's a direct link between Arsenal and John, um, David Cornwall, um, Ben McIntyre was good friends of his. Ben had run out of things to say, right, and was walking on the heath with John the Carry one day and said, what's the best spice story hasn't been told? And he said this, it's the relationship between Philby and Elliot. And Alex took the baton, mm. ran with it, and has has just really focused in on the psychological motivations of these characters and the betrayal of friendship, the heartbreak mm. of betrayal of friendship. We talked a lot about these, you know, about Nick Elliot and everyone else, but Nick Elliot most personally, but he is every man in the piece. He mm. represents all of us mm. who are betrayed as being cuckolded. You know, there was mm. a real... Yeah, that was a comparison you drew very early. Platonic relationship, yeah. Yeah. you know, for sure, but a very intensive uh, love, bromance between... There's something Demi, Demi talked about when we were talking it through in, in what we could call rehearsal um, was the if if you are cuckolded, if one is cuckolded by one's partner, the question immediately, and we've been together 25 years, did it ever mean anything? Mm. I can understand this is falling mm. apart, I can understand you, but did did nothing mean anything? Mm. Um, and Lily, played by Anna Maxwell in the early interrogation yeah. debriefing scenes, asks mm. exactly that question. Mm. Do you mm. think you were set up from the first handshake? And they meet, in a, club, it, when yeah. they meet mm. in a club, a mm. gentleman's club in London. Mm. You know, you've seen the scene and the bomb mm -hmm. goes off during the Blitz. Mm -hmm. and, they introduce and that can become obsessive. I think that 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 obviously was for, for Nicholas Elliott. And for um, everyone else. And mm. We explore that, don't we? The mm. psychological, political damage that Philby does. It's the extent and the thoroughness of his betrayal over 25, 30 years. Into the CIA, spreading mm. paranoia everywhere. Brilliant, brilliant brilliant man sociopathic nutter <laughs> and murderer mass murderer mm, mm. absolutely charismatic and adored yeah incredible guy i mean it, it feels like i like i know the name you know everybody knows the name i think if you've paid any attention to to history in this country yeah. and sort of post-war history but the details of it that were coming out are still just astonishing in this film i hadn't seen or in this show i still hadn't see, i hadn't seen any of this kind of detail and this level of depth about exactly that, about the scale of the betrayal, about the length of time that he was successful for, about the the sheer kind of weight of it on everyone around him, and the impact like, as well, yeah. the, the lives lost, and the impact. That's it. I mean, yeah. we can we can often assume that the spying is just about okay. We we know where the troop movements are, and we know, and there isn't any. It's just within its own spy um, sort of goals. But actually, no, people were killed off the back of it. Um, many hundreds died at the, uh, because of the information. Now he. I'm sure Philby would argue that, that that's the same happened with MI6. People were killed because of MI6's actions or whatever. And we can we can debate the validity of that. But after, what I have to say is, is, is Alex's writing was as interested in the friendship issue as he was in the spy genre. And it was the, the fact that they were two horses running in this. I think none of us would have been as interested in the show. Alex wouldn't have wanted to write it. I'm not sure Damien would have wanted to play if it was just dead letter drops and and tape mm -hmm. recordings. Mm -hmm. uh, plot the, mechanics. Yeah, yeah, the plot mechanics. This is um, this uh, one of my first comments to Alex when I read the script is, "Do we need more plot for a spy thriller?" And he and he we were on Zoom together. He was in the, he lives in the states. He's English, but he lives in the states. And he said, "This isn't a spy thriller." Of course, that that, that he was. Good to his word, but that was it. Was as interesting to to him, and it became as interesting to to the to the to the to the films. Um, 
and and as as dramatists, somebody saying something that they de- that they don't mean. Of course, we're also we're dealing with thoroughbred actors, mm-hmm. and you, you know, you, this isn't a soap. We none of the characters <clears throat> you can't tell any of the characters are lying. People mm-hmm. are brilliant liars. These people were particularly brilliant liars, <laughs> and and there's no sort of uh, yeah no I uh, no I'm fine. You know that that you, you you couldn't see through their lies. So so the audience don't get to either. So that that that. Um, that guessing game of Jesus Christ, you really seemed friendly. Um, we, I don't know if Philby loved him or not. I don't know. Mm. I don't know if Elliot means it. Um, that's that's amazing for a dramatist to the, the, to play the, that dichotomy because that's what drama is. I will um, say to pay Murph a compliment, which I don't like to do too often. <laughs> um, he's he's very good at not at not uh, gilding the lily. As mm-hmm. a director, it comes from you know he comes from his documentary background. I think it's very good allowing the camera to just be in the right place at the right time, and make it raw emotionally that way by giving it a sort of a, a veracity, a sort mm-hmm. of uh, um, you know a sort of journalistic feel. You know, yeah. just by being in the room with people, and uh, and it really worked. For this, it it it, it allowed a pre- it allowed it to be present, true, um, and um, that was that was uh, whilst at the same time because you know it, it looks beautiful. It look I hope you agree. It looks it cinematic. We've seen it on two big screens now um, in the Curzons in in the West, and it it never feels like you're watching TV on 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 a big screen, which is great. I think cinema resisting music when you don't need it. <clears throat> yeah, you know, yeah. resisting big sweeping yeah. mise en scènes when you don't need it. Just allowing the camera to be in the right place. You you did that brilliantly. Thank you very much, Damien. <laughs> did that hurt? <laughs> but I think <laughs> cinema. I, I think cinema. You, the, the cinematic yeah. thing. We often, we, you know, when you're prepping any TV show, there's a sort of hey, we want it to feel cinematic. And no, I don't think anybody really understands. A lot of people that say that don't understand what cinematic means. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Absolutely. Sure, I do. I mean, in many senses, you make the film that's in your head when you read the script, and if it, it comes out in a certain way, that's it. If you over-codify it, I'm going to do this because cinema does, I'm going to do this because then I think it, it, it becomes, it loses its um, its magic, really. Mm. But I do think that Alex's writing le- leaves room for the inferences. It, it asks for us to examine the characters and gives us space in which to do so. Um, and I think a lot of telly, at the moment, particularly when there's there's a plot afoot, it's just people just talking. Just can you just stop f-ing talking for one <laughs> minute so I can just gain a bit of where I am and what it is and what the world is. Yeah. Um, uh, Damien and I went to for when we met. We had a, a bang average breakfast at the Groucho Club one morning. Um, I mean, he's a member. I'm not. Um, uh, not, not anymore. I'm not. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> but the uh, I think it was an off day. Um, we were coming back across Soho Square for the for the tube station. Uh, Damien was still pretending he took the tube. Then um, <laughs> you just walk down the steps and then yeah, wait for Nick to leave. And then that's it. Back and then, yes, yeah. no idea how the ticket machine works or anything. Um, <laughs> nobody agreed to take his bag. It was a hopeless. It was a but we, we were crossing, walking back across Soho Square, and he's saying, "Can we talk about sort of spies and that sort of culture in the world, which is which is the, that 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 rarefied world that mm. this show takes place in, this story takes place in, which is central to Philby's um, uh, the, fact, the, well, the way Philby got away with it because because it was just a, it was that that sort of upper class boys' school. But the what made them feel special? 
something Damien said is, can you imagine if we knew a secret, you and I knew a secret, rather than just being lame filmmakers, if we knew something really important and everybody else in this square had no idea? Can you imagine how special that would make us feel, how exciting that is? Mm. And and that that sort of, that idea of the proximity of the world that isn't involved in this story, also off the back of that really, um, became an important strand to the show. So we, we, we never, we wanted to avoid this world where it's just spies in Spyland doing spy stuff and always a proximity. So they meet in, in not in, in deserted park benches, but as a cafe with people getting on with their normal lives. There's, there are people going to and from, there's nurses going to work, mm. there's kids playing in the street. There's, there, is, there is a world that is just getting through the day and doesn't know about Moscow and KGB mm-hmm. and KBD mm-hmm. or, or, or betrayal or, or anything, anything like that. And that itself is, is provided context for their special boys club world. The, the, there's a there's a seed, there's a section of, of one of the episodes where Damien goes to the, to to um, confront uh, Anthony Blunt in a in a mm. gentleman's club. So so I preceded it with evidence of the street going about its business before we go into the rarefied world because it's very easy just to think that actually everybody in this in this world on 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 this spy among friends everybody yeah. is posh everybody is a spy um and rather the we, the filmers is interested in saying that's them over there meanwhile these guys are in gentle rooms discussing their future mm. without them being known um we've got a, a listener question uh, in a second that we're going to take but um before that i wanted to ask about you guys and and your working relationship which seems to have blossomed into a fast friendship i, I thought I, I assumed that you maybe had met before this given the support of Liverpool Football Club. I just assumed it was a shadowy cabal of people who worked in the film industry who supported so, yeah. the Reds. and Southern Scousers. Yeah, who just came together. <laughs> He's actually from up there. Murph, in his defence, yeah. is from there. And, uh, yeah, and my grandmother was from there, actually. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. okay, all right. <laughs> I, think, I think the fact we, we've, we've become friends, it's, you, you go, when you work with famous people, you go at their pace. You don't just sort of suddenly say... Hey, now we're working together. Then here's my number, and, mm-hmm. and let's 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 do lunch. Um, but Damien is one of the boys and very personable. So, and and his his working style is not one of isolation. He doesn't. He's very very open on set, chatty. He's focused, but he doesn't he doesn't stay sullen and quiet in the corner. All actors work in different ways. There's no mm-hmm. right or wrong, but he's very much um, banter until the camera turns over, and uh, so you end up being. You end up chatting a lot and getting close on on set, and then yeah, you're right. A couple of visits to Anfield, well. <laughs> mm. not true. too bad. Yeah, that's no, true. We've had a good time. Yeah, we've had a very good time, haven't we? Yeah, we we're in the cop. We were in the cop for when one all against Spurs. Was it? Did we see Spurs? Yeah. Did we go and see Spurs? Or was that no, that was, that was me and you. That was, that was me and you. Yeah, full full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> who came? Who came and beat us? In we saw a European. We saw a European. Yeah, we saw a European. Oh, Inter Milan. Inter Milan. Yeah, and and seeing seeing Damien in the cot was hilarious, and having seeing that taggies respond to him <laughs> was just uh, joyous. <laughs> we're walking. We're walking to a game. I never told you I saw him coming late into the ground in Paris after who? all the taggy. Oh, his, did you? Yeah, with his 12-year-old boy and his 12-year-old boy. After been, all that hassle? Yeah, been oh held God. up by the police oh and they've been tear gassed oh, and he was, he was very shaken. And uh, yeah, they got caught up in all the all the bad shit on the the that north south gate, whichever it was, that end. Tiger's the owner of a of a, of a, a pub, bar yeah, a pub in, in next to Amphibs. And we were, yeah. we were walking towards Wembley when we went to the FA Cup, which we won. 
Um, and we all, from from the tube station, the crowd walking next to this lad walks up next to Damien and looks him, looks him up and down and goes, I, I fucking love you. I love you. What are you in? <laughs> yeah. That's everything. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Um, all right. Well, listen, we got we have a listener question. Let's uh, let's let's bring talk of the Reds to an end. Uh, it wasn't as much as I thought it was going to no, be. Did well. Yeah, we did Very all right. Restrained. We so did far. okay. If we were top of the table, it might be a bit more. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> let's just move on really quickly. Uh, so we have a listener question. This one comes from Andrew Simpson on Twitter at Simpson nine nine seven six. Uh, with us, with us heading towards the end of the year and thinking about where the where's the time gone? What are the best or favorite? time-lapse scenes in movies and Andrew Simpson suggests Rise of the Planet of the Apes with Caesar climbing the trees near San Francisco. I've been wanting to tackle this on the podcast for a while uh, because, you know, there's obviously a very, very famous answer which is 2001, mm. the Space Odyssey, the cut from throwing the bone into the air and into the spaceship millions of years later. Mm. But uh, I was especially keen to tackle this question once I knew you were coming on the show it because you did a really lovely version of this in The Last Kingdom. In one of your episodes of oh Last Kingdom. Oh my God, I did. I, I, I came, yeah, that's true for Uttred growing up. That's right. The little yeah. boy falls in the water it's and really a, good feigned surprise. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about acting. No. I, I was watching it again only last night, um, making my family sit through the box set. Um, yes, I did. No, I, I, uh, I'd forgotten about that. It's a time, that's, that's a, that's a time jump. Yeah. A little boy falls off a bridge into water and he stands up, he gets up and, and he's a hunky. He's a hunky grown-up. He's a hunky grown-up, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. No, I think it's a tough one. Are we time jumps or we time lapses? Cause yeah, you said time lapse there. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've taken the question. I've torn it in my own, in my own direction. But uh, time jumps, time lapses, whatever you want well, to do. Apart, I mean, I don't know, I mean, you obviously, okay, look, I think the one where you have to go 88 miles an hour in a DeLorean has got to be has got to be one of them just just for the sort of sheer pottiness of it all. I will technically allow You're that. Allowed. I, th- I think I think time travel maybe we, we can time take slightly time travel's cheating. Yeah. Okay. Okay, okay. I'm You're talking fine. about when a filmmaker takes you takes the audience from one time period to another in the blink of an eye. Okay, I've got a very subtle one actually and you're probably going to discount it as well because it's okay. not, a, no. not a big enough time jump, but the the <laughs> 5 minutes. My favorite film is uh, a brief encounter. And okay. when Laura is on the train home, having mm-hmm. said goodbye to Alec, and is utterly heartbroken, she talks about this can't last, this misery can't last. Um, she she drifts off. We drift off with with Rachmaninoff playing. We drift off into her mind, and it isn't a time jump, but it's a time. It does jump, but within the same shot. So there is no edit. It is it is just the journey goes, and I always felt that sort of being utterly lost. In, in her abject misery um, and the stasis of that. And then suddenly she's brought out as they, we're here at the station. And so it isn't a time jump, but it's a, more, it's a typical David Lean. It's more elegant. I mean, David Lean's mm. done some pretty amazing ones. The match to the match sunset girl, yeah. is... is, yeah. The, uh, is um, yeah, the match to Omar Sharif in... Yeah, to the sun. Yeah, it, no, that's, and that counts because that's like a month later or, yeah, or whatever. That's yeah, yeah. the greats. We're going to go with that. But, um, but that's a straightforward edit, isn't it? And a change of... POV. Uh, I mean, the Nouvelle Vague and Goddard in that lot, you would just, you would jump down the same line of mm-hmm. just accelerate, yeah. just accelerate time. Yeah. You would still be in the same time period, yeah. but stay in the same POV, you might just still be on the shoulder, you know, mm-hmm. but just move them, just down move the them to different locations. Cut out the faff. Yeah. That's, that's what I so think. No, so it, it, it effectively often means a cut without coverage, doesn't it? And just it, moving them. 
Yeah, time, those be, yeah. little jumps. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you? You, you must have been part of a, a time jump. I mean, I guess a spy among friends has got. You've got. You're tracking different time periods. You know where Nick Elliott so, is I mean, from. So, well, there's a lot of era jumping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Keen um, I'm. I think. Uh, I just want to think back. I made a film called Keen. That's right. Yeah. About fifteen years ago. It's a brilliant now. film. If you um, haven't seen it, it's a brilliant um, film. Directed by Lodge Kerrigan and. Uh, uh, very few matching cuts on that. So you take the your, your protagonist, William Keane, and move him through time with cuts, certainly through Port Authority bus terminal. Mm-hmm. So you see yes, him in yes, one yes, place yes. and very quickly yes. you see him maybe 10 minutes later, just immediately in another place, but still conducting the same sort of action, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you like, which is mostly mania in his yes. head. Yeah. Mm. Um, trying to figure out who abducted his daughter. Yeah. You're, you're going to discount this one as well. Okay. Um, the, don't, don't, don't presuppose. The, I, I might allow the, tr- it. The, the, the training scene, I'm talking about bits that reach into my soul. Mm-hmm. The training sequence in Rocky, just absolutely, I never recovered from uh, because it was just so cool. And I just, it was the first time I'd seen that sort of, that, that build that we now cliche every, everything has this sort of put together. Mm. Um, progress uh, sequence but to my knowledge it was the first one I'd seen and I I just it was so cool catching a chicken it was just so cool <laughs> 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 eating raw eggs and all that I punching just, a cow I, yeah yeah which I know doesn't count as a time jump but I I think you did mention the word time lapse so I'm going to make, uh, I'm gonna make damn it hoist by my own baton yeah, yeah. yeah. Bells, you got anything? I'm as you know AI's one fan so, yes, you are. Um, yeah, even yeah. Steven Spielberg's disowned it. No, only kidding. He has not. But it's kind of you mentioned. You mentioned two thousand one, obviously, and it has a similar kind of like massive time jump at the end, where he is basically praying to the statue of the Blue Fairy, obviously fruitlessly because it's a statue in a fun fair, and cut two thousand years into the future, mm-hmm. and like super advanced AIs turn up after the death of all mankind to kind of rescue him, and. I freaking love that ending. And it was Kubrick's, not Spielberg's, so I won't have any of the, oh, Spielberg added a sentimental ending. Kubrick no. just loves a big old time jump. Kubrick loves a time jump. And uh, yeah, I, I thought that was just audacious and mad and weird. And it it wasn't what I expected at all at any point in that film. Um, and I still have the urge to go, what? When I see it again. So yeah, that one. Well, listen, we've got to let you guys go, but uh, I'm just going to throw in a couple more. Um, there, there's a couple of TV ones. I know this is a film podcast, but we, we mentioned The Last Kingdom. Uh, there is there is a time there's a time jump uh, in an episode of Bluey, which is a show I've recently discovered because we've just, you know, as, as regular listeners will know, I've adopted a little girl. And there's a time jump in an episode of Bluey that is incredible. <laughs> it jumps, really? it jumps 10 years. <clears throat> it has a single image of a tree. The tree grows from a from a stump to a, to a tree. Mm-hmm. And it jumps 10 years later and we see Bluey as a grown-up meeting this this character that so the tree becomes the, the barometer yeah, for the absolutely. clock if you like such nice. a beautiful beautiful mm, thing nice. uh, and recently I was blown away by Better Call Saul I'm not going to reveal too much because I know you guys maybe haven't uh, caught up with it yet but there is a a time jump in Better Call Saul towards the end of the, the final season uh, where it jumps about four years in, in between two shots and completely unexpected and it's so elegant and so jarring, deliberately mm. discombobulating. It is an incredible time jump and uh, I guess uh, because it's me and I can't resist uh, Avengers Endgame with its five years later, uh, <laughs> which is pretty audacious for a big blockbuster like that to, to suddenly go, right, now we're moving five years on yeah. and 
everything is different and, and you've got to catch up. Everything. Yeah, they haven't fixed but everything. I think we've strayed from the point here. I, I don't think none of this have, is in camera. This, these are just cuts, and then someone writing <laughs> later up on in the, the story saying here yeah. five years later. That's these aren't real. These aren't real. Oh, do, you, do you want something in camera? Yeah, Saving Private Ryan. How about that? With um, the eyes, the eyes, the eyes. It's a, it's, a, good. it's obviously good. Better. Okay. Well, the eyes. We don't go from eyes to eyes. I always remember that as going from eyes yes. to eyes. We don't go from eyes to eyes. We, we don't. Go, we go to his yeah. eyes, and then and then later in the scene, you see his eyes, we and you think, it. oh, it must have been his eyes. That's we right. Do it at the end. At the end. At the end. And that's the oh, clue that, that it's not who you think it is. But actually, that's another. Of, I mean, me just criticised Spielberg, but you know, I mean, literally yeah. the greatest. But the um, well, that's where he's he's. That's a bit. I don't like that. I don't like the. I don't like the. Was I a good man? Was I a good man? Shortly after, a band of brothers. Band of brothers. No one ever saw that. No one ever saw that. Probably repeated over the festive period. But no, I think that ending a bit bothers me. And was I a good man? Well, you just come on. What's she going to say? Yes. No, you're a bad man. We're here. We travelled all the way to Normandy with you, and no, you're. I mean, anyway. Gotta let you guys go. Damien's just going to ask: Is is Axe returning at any point? In billions, buttocks or no buttocks? I can neither confirm nor deny. So, <laughs> you've been playing a spy too long, far too long. Let me look at the eyes. There is one more season mm -hmm. of Billions. Okay, Axe is still alive. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, I leave it to you. Leave it there. Leave it there. Uh, well, we started with Hello, Hello. Now it's time to say goodbye, goodbye uh, to Damien Lewis and Nick Murphy. Thanks so much. And here's there's going to be a time jump after this yeah. to a completely different Great. part of the podcast. You guys won't be on it. Now that's audacious. That's magic. Yeah. <laughs> that's magic. How do we do it? How do you do that? God. Well, I wasn't lying when I said we would do a time jump as audacious as 2001, A Space Odyssey, or Avengers Endgame, or Better Call Saul, because Nick and Damien have gone... And they have been replaced, as if by magic, <laughs> by a Mon Warman. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Or were you here the whole time? Yeah, you know, I've mastered the art of being invisible. I've taken lessons from Drax. I was just here in the background listening to your conversation. It was very, very I good. I did hear the crunch of a Sargnut <laughs> <laughs> at a certain point. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you. Good, good to see you back. as well. Yeah, you all geared up for Christmas? Not in the slightest. Good, um, <laughs> good. What are you like? The Come Christmas on. tree isn't even up yet. I what? know that yours went up early. But well, it, did go, it did go up early. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I need to get on there. I'm, I'm trying to be better because normally I'm like, you know, last week before Christmas, maybe I should get some Christmas shopping done. Normally that's me. I'm trying to be better this year. I'm trying to carve out at least a couple of days mm -hmm. over the next week or so where I can get all the presents uh, for the fam and maybe for you as well. We'll, well see how I'm doing. on. Um, I am in the market for a set of golf clubs. I haven't really played golf since the little one arrived, but oh. uh, I'm, you know, I, if, if I have golf clubs, at least it means I can do it. So, you know, if you want to knock yourself out, there's you know, about a grand uh, for a set, I'm guessing, if you want to really go all in, because, you know, a player this good has to have clubs to mm -hmm. match, right? So I can't mm -hmm. just get some common or garden shit, right? I've got to have good clubs. You'd be so. shocked to know, Chris, that this is not motivating me to do my Christmas shopping early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take you to American Golf. Don't worry. We'll, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. You know, they have Marvel golf balls that I do really, really want. I'm going to put a little Christmas list together. And uh, they have they have uh, Hulk golf balls. They have Black Panther golf balls. They have Black okay. Widow golf balls. They have Captain America golf balls, Iron Man golf balls, and Thor golf balls. And they are 
incredible. And I would never hit them. I would just keep them and they would be pride of place. Uh-huh. I mean, I couldn't hit them, quite frankly. Well, but, that, yeah. You know, but I would never hit them. I played mini golf recently. I was oh. enormously impressive. Really? At being bad. Yes. <laughs> really? I did have a couple of holes in one, but okay. I also had like, you know, when you just like, just give up and write seven down. I had a couple of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where was this? Where did you play? This was in Hastings. Okay. Hastings. Oh, yeah. okay, Hastings. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that. Yeah, Battle of Battle of and all that. Indeed, uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Battle of Crazy Golf. <laughs> 1066. Yeah. That's what Alfred shot. Is mm-hmm. it Alfred? Albert? What was the king? Who was the one who got the arrow in the eye? I just, I can't. Jeff. Yes, King Jeff. Jeff. King Jeff. Jeff, yes. Yeah, King yeah. Ralph. Harold. Harold. Harold! That's it. What did I say? Alfred? Yeah, you did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the question this week was about the greatest time jumps in cinema. Uh, oh, so, see. what's what's popped into your head? I mean, you mentioned Avengers Endgame, that one for sure. Uh, greatest time jumps. See, that's one of the ones where you know I was going to discount anything that went six months later, ten years later, five years later. But okay. the audacity of that in the yeah, final the, part the fact of that it. people gasped in the audience, yeah, like full was, on gasp. I was a gasper. I was definitely a gasper. Um, <laughs> time jumps. Hmm. I'm going to think about this one. What else did you guys come up with? Oh, well, we man. can't just give you the answer, many, can we? I mean, many, <laughs> many wonderful ideas. Uh, well, 2001 Space Odyssey yeah. is obviously the, uh, is the big one. A time jump I do like is uh, The Last Crusade, going from Teenage Indy to mm. growing up in the That's a great one. That is, you know what? That might be the best one. Yes. Trust, trust Warman to come in here and, <laughs> and shit all over what we were talking about. That's an amazing one where, you know, he puts the hat on River Phoenix, mm-hmm. he bows down, he pops his head back up again and he's Harrison Ford and he has a moment where he just does that Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, smug ass grin and then he gets a punch in the face. Mm. Oh, my. Yeah. All right. Well done, Among. There you go. Boom. Do you have anything to say about a spy among friends? Uh, I've seen... Well, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say. Um, All right, great. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about this week's movie news. What has been happening in the world of movie news? Well, uh, we had a trailer for Cocaine Bear, uh, which is a film that I was not taking seriously, really, until I saw, oh, they actually made this thing. It has a trailer, and there's some actually really cool people in it, and it looks kind of fun and wild. Uh, I really enjoyed this trailer, and this is this is like a film you want to see with a big crowd who's really really up for it because it looks like there's going to be a few moments, more than a few moments of hilarity. So, so yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah, so this is Cocaine Bear, and this is based incredibly on a true story mm. uh, of <laughs> of a bear, an actual bear um, that uh, a, a bunch of cocaine fell out of a plane or was pushed out of a plane. Um, illegally, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> and yeah, be, yes, the right. bear found the cocaine and not knowing what cocaine was, because he doesn't he doesn't hang around with, with bad bears uh, <laughs> who've gone off the rails. And uh, he just he just went all in on the coke and uh, went on a bit of a frenzy for a bit. Uh, spoiler alert, in real life, it didn't end well for the bear. <laughs> Here he's in talks to become a, a CEO of a, of a high-flying Wall Street firm. So, so it's, it's all Fantastic, gone well. Yeah, or, or an MP. Or, or, what, you, know, you name your poison. <laughs> <laughs> and look, it, it just looks like a ton of fun and uh, and a ton of, you know, terror. Half a ton of terror as well. Um, uh can't wait to see it. Have Black, we mentioned Black Bear Goes Mad? Black Bear Goes Mad, absolutely. This is, this is Paddington 3. Um, this is <laughs> this is very much not. This, this is, is it. more than a hard stare here. There's quite a lot of, uh, there's a lot more dying than I actually expected. Yeah. Weirdly. Yes. There's a lot, uh, lot, lot higher body count. I don't think that's from the true story. No. <laughs> as fun as this trailer was, you mentioned the dying. There's a couple of spoilery 
bits. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to go in without having seen it, I would not blame you. But it is, it is a fun trailer. It did get me excited for the film as well. It did. It, it survived, it, it's described as a survival horror comedy. So... <laughs> Yeah. I guess that makes more sense with all the, the dying. But it is um, yeah, obviously Elizabeth Banks directing and and a really good cast. Carrie, Ru- Carrie Russell, O'Shea Jackson Jr. Um, Alden uh, Ehrenreich. Mm. It's been too long. Always good to see him. Margot mm. Martindale, Ray Liotta, the late great mm. Ray Liotta Oh yeah, his well. last performance, I believe. Yeah. Oh really? Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's, it, yeah, I'm super hyped. Or one of his last performances. So he was making a film when he died. I'm mm. not sure whether that, you know, Without, or he was about to start shooting the film. But yeah, this might be his last performance. Yeah, this this looks so much fun. And I think they've gone all in on the gonzo-ness because it's a film called Cocaine Bear. And quite mm. frankly, if it wasn't this batshit insane, I'd be disappointed. Well, yes, and yeah. she was absolutely right. She she insisted that you know the studio basically guarantee her in advance that it would still be called Cocaine Bear when it came out. <laughs> like there was going to be no sort of the bear that went a bit crazy mm. kind of changes. And, and that is 100%. The, the right decision. I think you could, this could be the start of a franchise. You could have <laughs> Cocaine Bear, The Winter Soldier. You could have Cocaine <laughs> Bear, Ragnarok. You could have, you know. I you thought could, you were going to suggest like Cocaine Shark, you co- know, Cocaine co- Raptor. Cocaine Shark, Cocaine Shark, Cocaine Shark, Crystal Meth, Bear, Crystal Meth, Bear, Crystal Meth, Bear. Okay. Wow. We're, anywho. I'm all in on cocaine sharks. <laughs> uh, Damien Lewis said as he left, so you guys get paid for this? Yeah. <laughs> no wonder these sharks don't sleep, right? They're on fucking coke all They're the time. Wrong. That's it. This is the secret. <laughs> A shark has to keep moving forward because it's too coked up to stop. The, the, the Latin name for Great White is cocaine. <laughs> Wow. I am not on cocaine. <laughs> How would we know? How would we know? I have never touched the stuff. Uh, winners don't do drugs. William F. Sessions said that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Cocaine Bear. What a film. Indeed. Someone said, said, said on Twitter today, I didn't think a film could win Best Picture five years in a row, but here it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love that. I really hope it's not the new Snakes in the Plane. <laughs> oh no, don't say that. Yeah. No. Yeah. In Alden Ehrenreich and, you know, everyone else and Elizabeth Banks, we trust. Mm-hmm. I have had it with all this motherfucking cocaine on this motherfucking bear. Uh, anyway, <laughs> what, what, what else has happened? Nothing else has happened. It's just cocaine bear. Uh, it was Thanksgiving, in fairness. Mm-hmm, so they, yeah. were, they were stuffing turkeys and eating turkeys and Hollywood took a break. Uh, but I tell you, it hasn't been taking a break. For the last three oh, it's years. It's going to be an incredible segue. <laughs> Mason Lee. There it is. Has not been taking a break for the last three years. Mason Lee, of course, son of. Ang Lee. Right. And who has not been taking a break for the last three years because good. he is. Uh, he So Mason Lee, son of Ang Lee, has been training to play Bruce Lee, no relation what? that I'm aware of, um, <laughs> in a new film about that great martial artist. Lee. Lee, Lee, <laughs> I am so excited about this. Um, will it be as good as Dragon, the Bruce Lee story? <laughs> you know, can Ang Lee match the visual mastery of Rob Cohen, director of the original The Fast and the Furious and The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor? I don't know. Mm, can Ang Lee... <laughs> can Ang Lee... <laughs> <laughs> director of some of the greatest films oh. in the canon, uh, match up to Rob Cohen, director of, as you say, the original Fast and Furious. And Triple X. And Triple X. Let's not forget Triple X. I mean, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon on one hand, 
Triple X on the other. It's it's hard to judge. You can take your crouching tiger and your hidden dragons. I don't know, but you know your ice storms, your senses and sensibilities, your your hulks, your um, you know that one he did about the long walk. You know all of those things. The life of Pi as well. The Life yeah. of Pi. Yeah. You could take all of those movies, mm-hmm. and they're not worth one non-hair on the head <laughs> of Sander Cage. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Is it's that what you what want saying. to be? I am so high on cocaine right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have no is that idea what you want to go down sense. and saying? But no, look, this this um, any time Angley makes a film, that is a good day for film. You stop and you pay attention. Yeah, you do, mm-hmm. and um, and so you know you have to assume that there's a bit more than kind of nepotism going on and him just giving his son a boost. I'm sure he's been working hard to make sure that his son is ready and willing and able to play. Bruce Lee, that great icon. I, you know, I, I'm I'm excited for this. Yeah, I'm excited. yeah, definitely. Me too. For all the reasons you say, um, the last time we saw a Bruce Lee in the film was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and there were issues with that portrayal and what went down, which have been well documented. So I'm not going to be litigated, uh, but I don't suspect that this is going to go the same way. I think they're going to treat the Bruce Lee story with the reverence that it deserves. So yeah, yeah I'm, mm. I'm excited to see it. It's, it's, it's wild. So, you know, because you know, Ang Lee, you, you can never predict what he's going to do next, right? No. Which makes it very difficult to wrestle him. Um, <laughs> do you spend a lot of... You know what? Don't even tell me. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, the, uh, as people have been, you know, people are saying, there must be something in, in Mason Lee uh, that's, made, that's made him think, you know what? He's got it. Because mm-hmm. Bruce Lee was a, an icon, a one-off. Titan. Just reminded, reminded me that Damien and Lewis played Steve McQueen in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. who of course had a relationship with, with Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'd remembered that at the time, if I had done research and prepared, <laughs> I could have asked Damien for his thoughts on, on this movie. But, you know, hey-ho, I didn't. What are you going to do? Should we talk about Cocaine Bear again? No. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's talk about something much more more calm, more restrained, more laid back. I know where you're going with this. The Super Mario Brothers movie. Let's <laughs> uh, go. It's a me, Cocaine Bear. <laughs> which dropped a full trailer. Now, look, I am not emotionally attached to the games at all, Um I mean, the and most I'm not emotionally attached to a game. I know, I, I know. It. It's crazy, isn't it? But but mostly what I do is I sit with my uh, my small nephew as he chooses players for Super Mario Kart, which is <laughs> the bit good. that he likes because when you choose them, then they jump up and down and spin around and, and go back into their cart, um, and then he they, the game starts and he gets bored instantly and, and chooses <laughs> another player. Anyway, so that's about my experience of awesome. Mario, and and even so, I was a bit like, this seems like it's got an awful lot going on, and I feel tired already. I feel tired. Aww. By this trailer, but am I wrong? Is it very exciting to see all of your favorite <laughs> D- Donkey Kongs and such uh, in, <laughs> in this wow. trailer? Could you be any more dismissive? <laughs> I don't know. Is it Donkey Kong? No. It, it was a large ape. I don't know. It's Bowser. It's, it's Bowser. Helen. Wait, I thought there was an ape. I thought Bowser was the big bad guy one. Yeah. Isn't Bowser the. Yeah, but there's also one. an ape. There's an ape. Yes. Yeah. So who's the ape? That's Donkey Kong, isn't it? It's Donkey Kong. I'm pretty sure that's Donkey Kong. Maybe I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know. Do Who I knows? know? A, do I know a game fact that you don't know? Is that what's happening? Like, I, I, potentially, potentially. Like I, I, I think I had a better time with this trailer than you did. Um, it lo- Not hard. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. 
it's Donkey Kong and it's Seth Rogen doing the voice. Okay. I thought you were talking about Bowser. Donkey Kong is in there. No, because I said, oh. like, Donkey Kong. Okay. Oh, dear, you've been exposed, cruelly yeah. exposed, Mormon. <laughs> you, you come in here, any any points you got for Last Crusade have now been stripped away. Hold on. Wait I... a second. This is directed by Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelenic of Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Oh, Helen's back on board. I'm back in the... I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> That's a very niche reference. That was... <laughs> Let's sing yeah, well, an upbeat, inspirational song about <laughs> Super Mario Brothers the movie. When you're feeling down. Oh, I hope there's cocaine in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, or anywho, as uh, the word we're using today, um, we can use whatever word you want. Okay, I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna go with anywho. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow Helen's lead here. No one says uh, any why. This is a good point. Or anywhere, or they do. No, they do say anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> We are all so high right now. I had a third cup of coffee, and in I retrospect, it may have been a mistake. Tripping major ball sack right now. Uh, what have I had Over today? Over falsity of confidence is, is approaching. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be past that a long time ago. Uh, I, I, what did I have today? I had a Malteser from my advent calendar. Ah, that's a cool, cool. Maybe there was something in that. Mm. <laughs> Cocaine, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Cocaine. Um, Anywho, tell Mario. us about Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Yeah, um, I I think this could be fun. I liked all the uh, references. They got the rainbow bridge in there. They got mm -hmm. characters Helen knows and love, like, 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 like Donkey Kong. Yeah, knows and, and, uh, and loves. <laughs> and Prince, Princess Peach is another one that Princess I know Peach. exists. Luigi uh, appears to exist. Also, Luigi appears yeah. to exist. Yeah, uh, I so, didn't see Wario. See, I know stuff. What about Waluigi? Did you see Waluigi? I didn't see Waluigi. That doesn't mean he's not there. I wasn't looking that closely. Okay. Yeah. Um, still a bit unsure about Chris Pratt leading the voice cast, but, you know, we'll see. We, only got we, we heard him this time. We did. And he's not doing the, you know, fairly, how should we say, culturally offensive. Mm -hmm. Which I would never obviously do, you know, but you know, just for demonstration purposes, you know, the hey, it's a me, I'm out of you, which I obviously do not condone. Yeah. Mm. I condemn, if anything. Mm. Uh, yeah, probably for the best that he made that decision. But yeah, we've only heard like, what, 20, 30 seconds of him, maybe when I see. Maybe he does film. break it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, maybe when I see the full film, you know, sometimes it takes a while to get acclimatized to a voice. And hopefully I cross that threshold as I'm watching the film. I was like, okay, I can just ignore the Chris Pratt of it all and just enjoy the film. So, yeah, fingers crossed. There is one ah in the trailer, isn't there? There's a He does go. Ah. And then, he, and then at the end he goes, he does that famous Mario noise, doesn't he? But you, you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> of course, I'm very familiar with all aspects of the Mario games. Yeah. He goes, there. <laughs> I want to give myself some cocaine. <laughs> cocaine, um, yeah. yeah. That's what Mario does. Yeah. Okay, we're going to wrap up the, the news section now with some sad news that this week we lost one of uh, my favorite diehard actors, Clarence Gilliard Jr., who plays Theo, the ace hacker who assists Hans Gruber in breaking into the Nakatomi Plaza. And I think if I'm right in thinking, I need, oh, I need to go back, back and rewatch Die Hard. Oh no, what a hardship. What a die hardship. Uh, I think it is such a cross to bear. I, I think he might be the only member of Hans's team who survives the movie. He gets knocked out. 
Um, but he gets up again? They're <laughs> yes. never going to keep him down. They're never going to keep him down. No, there's another one. There's another one. There's another guy. The guy who has the uh, all the bearer bonds and John McClane smacked him in the face. And he spills the bearer bonds across the floor. And I don't mm. know that character's name, but he survives because he's good when he gets knocked out. And then no, you do, you don't see it, but to, off screen he actually lands on something sharp and pointy <laughs> and uh, tragically dies. He, so. falls, he falls out of the building. He gets run over by a steamroller. George Kennedy's there going, <laughs> my father went the same way. Um, then a marching band, then a lion, uh, the, the whole thing. Uh, uh, but no, uh, Theo, who has some of the best lines in the movie and is also the subject. He is the one of the best lines in the movie. You ask for miracles, Theo, I give you the F B. I is directed to him but you know he has you know the police have got themselves an RV and you know all that stuff you didn't bring me along for my charming personality all that stuff he was so so good mm. he was just 66 mm. just 66 no age, no age at all um, there we go Clarence Gilliard Jr. who passed away this week at the age of 66 should we guessed? let's do it Yeah. let's do it uh, Frank Grillo or Greta Gerwig ladies first Ladies first. Greta Gerwig. We all know Greta Gerwig. She's been in films. Correct. Here she is talking about another one. <laughs> <laughs> no, she is, of course, the uh, the the writer and director recently of uh, two absolutely cracking movies, Lady Bird and Little Women. Uh, she is the writer and director of the forthcoming Barbie, uh, which is wild. Did you talk to her about Barbie? I, I got in a little tiny question at the end. A yeah. little tiny question at the end, um, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, and she is the star uh, this week, one of the stars this week of White Noise, the adaptation of Don DeLillo's uh, unadaptable novel um, we keep being told only Noah Baumbach has gone you know what fuck it I'm going to adapt the unadaptable mm-hmm. uh, and so he has also cast Greta Gerwig who is his partner in real life to star in this movie alongside Adam Driver and Don Cheadle and uh, Helen here mm-hmm. went along and spoke to her when she was in for the LFF Correct. a month or right, so yes. ago yeah uh, and here is their conversation um, good stuff yeah, she's lovely. Absolute delight, delightful human being. You talked to her before in a podcast, didn't you? I did for Little Women, which little I women. adore. Yeah. There you go. Oh, my little women. No, that's no, don't do that. It sounds more sexual than I said. Doesn't yeah, it does. It? it does sound very wrong. Please, please it's never the, say it again. That's the cocaine talking. <laughs> it probably is. So much cocaine. Do you want to father? There's cocaine in it. No, not cocaine. <laughs> raisins. Raisins. <laughs> yes, we, we shouldn't have given you an entire bag of raisins before the podcast. I realise that I would now. never eat raisins. I would rather fucking have cocaine than raisins. <laughs> Jesus Christ, take that shit away from me. Here's Greta Gerwig. Enjoy. So um, I was I was fascinated by this movie. I have to confess I hadn't read the book, so okay. I had no idea what to expect. You're going in completely... Completely blind. Wow. Yeah, so, um, I mean, had you read the book as a, uh, you know, years ago, years ago and then sort of come back to it? Or? Yeah, well, I, I'd read it at uh, about 19. I read it mm, a summer between, I think, my freshman and sophomore year of college, and I, uh, I loved it. I thought it was... Uh, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was brilliant. I wrote, ha, next to every single page. Like, there was just something on every page that was, like, worth dog-earing the page for. And so I had a very vivid memory, of, even of a very specific quotes from it and, and jokes and things that I thought were great. And then um, when Noah started rereading it, he asked me to reread it, too, and uh, I was uh, once again floored by it. And and as we were in the beginning of the lockdown in New York City, it felt even more 
of about the moment, which sort of was impossible, but it seemed like it was he was writing about now. It, it felt incredibly contemporary to me just watching it, just the the, yes. the paranoia that the ideas of mass media and consumerism mm-hmm. and, you know, even the, the way it treats academia feels like the conversations we're having right now. Yeah. It, it, it's it's incredibly prescient for something written, what, nearly 40 years ago now? Yeah, well, in 1985, I guess it was published. So, and then, I, yeah, I read it in about 2003. So, it, it's but it, it it always feels current. It, it taps into something that feels like it captures a quality of, of of modern life in a way that's only gotten louder, really. Um, pun intended, I suppose. But it, it really, it's sort of astonishing. So when did it become clear that this was going to be the next film for Noah and that you were going to be in it? Well, as uh, as Noah likes to say, I cast myself, <laughs> um, but I did. So I did kind of. Well, again, because it was he started writing it while we were in lockdown, and I think um, in a way he started writing it because if it, it was definitely speaking to him at the time to both of us, and it was a way to uh, because we weren't seeing anyone. Obviously, nobody was seeing anyone. I think in a way it was it was like having a co-writer and another mind there in a time where you just couldn't have other people around. So it was, it was sort of and it was his first, it's the first thing he's directed that he's adapted. So yeah. I think it was almost like speaking to Don DeLillo by by working on the adaptation. And then um yeah, he just I remember he was at the computer one day and he looked over and he said who should who who should play Babette? And I said, oh, me, obviously. And then, <laughs> um, which I meant, but I also think because everything felt so imaginary, I thought, in a way, I think that the only reason I said that was because it felt like it would, none of it would ever happen. <laughs> um, and then, of course, it did happen. And I, I'm very grateful that I, I got to play Babette. But um, it was only in those circumstances that I would have declared. Declared yourself. Yes. <laughs> And she's a, she's a character with important hair. She does how have did, important hair. How did the hair come together? Because it's a very memorable do. Well, the hair came together with um, Anne Ross, who did the costumes, and Mia, who made the wigs. Um, it, it, we started talking about it a long time before we started shooting. It was, uh, it, we went through a long process to get it exactly right. But we had an, a very clear image of it in our mind early on, and Anne and I were trading pictures, and it was a key to the character. There's also something else. I mean, she she has these um, acrylic nails. So between the wig and the acrylic nails, it, it it was like I I would show up to work every day, and then we'd put everything on, and then all of a sudden, I'd think, oh, there's Baba. That's her. She's <laughs> yeah. here. But um, it, it, you had to kind of have the whole look all the time. Yeah. And and how was the, the shooting process? Because you've got this finam- family dynamic that you have to kind of create. Right. And and it's one of the most realistic I've ever seen on film. Just all these people running around talking over each other. That's my family, certainly. I imagine it's a lot of other people's as well. Yes. Well, it was, um, uh, we had the luxury of having a re- rehearsal. So we had a month of rehearsal before we started shooting. And the kids even had longer than that because Rafi, came to the United States and worked with Sam and May and Noah to really form a unit. And he always said to them, you should think of yourselves as a radio that got turned on at the beginning of the movie and just never got turned off. 
And um, they did all these neat games and stuff where they he wanted everybody to be completely off book by the time we started rehearsal. So he would have the kids do things like play card games while they sped through their lines just so they could be doing something else while they're talking. And it's getting everybody with that muscle memory. And I think that that uh, time to work on it, that sort of requirement that everybody be completely letter perfect by the time we started working on it was part of why it felt like creating the atmosphere of a play rather than a film. I mean, you've worked with Noah for for a very long time now over the years. How has he changed as a director over that time? Has there been sort of evolution for him? Um, yes. Um, well, yes. It, it's hard to say. I, I, I suppose evolution suggests like... Um, yeah, maybe that's the wrong word. Yeah, but. well, I, I think it's more that, like, I've seen him go through different phases of being... There was, like, a period of time where... Um, I mean, this is also specific, but it, it's true. Little things, like, um, there was a period of time where he only really liked to shoot on, like, a, a 25 or 50 lens because he felt like those two lens sizes were essentially how the human eye sees the world right. and he and that made sense to him and it was it was kind of going off of the way um eric romer shot and and then he moved away from it you know he was interested he it was it was a sort of a fascination of of what it was i mean also i mean really like we'd talk a lot about it, that it was that combined with like no unmotivated unmotivated camera moves yeah he so talked about never, that yeah. you never move the camera without you without actually following a character and then in this film, obviously, there's a lot more unmotivated camera moves because the camera is, in a way, able to create the space of a narrator, which he hasn't had in other movies. So there's a, it's an interesting thing. So it's less, I, I would say, it's like watching him go through different different moments of fascination of... Um, like playing with different toys Playing almost. with different toys, but, you know, he gets very, in the way I think we all do, you get very committed to it. You know, you get, you almost get religious about it. And then, you know, when you move on for, from it, then you move on from it. So, um, but we certainly spend a lot of time talking about that. And I would say, though, he still has the same commitment to, you know, moving masters, long takes where everything happens in camera uh you know that that that's all what he he still likes that's a, that's kind of remained a constant yeah, yeah there's definitely still a through line yes. of his yes his, it feels like a him film it, yes you know, very much exactly and, and how about you i mean since turning director has that changed how you feel as an actress yes it does i i think um well i, I think on a very un, sort of un unsophisticated level i it's just you know i've had the opportunity to work with such great actors and who are not only great at what they do as actors but they're also great collaborators to the filmmaker and i think i always had a sense of this because the truth is when i started making movies i, I was always doing everything i was you know i was acting but mostly because i didn't have to pay myself and i was also writing and direct like I, I I've always been part of an all hands on deck ethos so I never really had a separation between church and state as an actor but um 
I think this sort of appreciation I have as a director for actors who are real filmmakers and who are so, you know, present and focused and give everything and are wonderful and cheerful, like all of that stuff, it, uh, I think it, it, it motivated me in some ways to even provide that more because I know truly how grateful I am to them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Noah in, in another interview was talking about uh, part, part of the reason, one of the many reasons he cast yourself and cast Adam Driver was to have a level of comfort going into this much bigger film. Like he knew there were going to be challenges ahead, but he knew, I guess, with you two, he had that sorted, you know? right? But was was there was there either an element of trepidation going into this just much bigger physical picture? Uh, yes, I suppose so. I mean, I it, it, I think mostly for the parts of it that were, you know, yeah, unwieldy things like how are we going to ca- crash a train or what, how are we going to do this evacuation or how is this going to work? And then you know you bit by bit start figuring it out and um you know the actual making films you're still you know uh, it's all it's about character it's about relationships and it's about um you know movement and space geography in a way and um whether you're in a kitchen or you're on you know escaping a toxic cloud it's really okay that's over there that we're here and then this is how we show what's happening um so there's a a way in which it's all the same, but I think definitely because he's worked with Adam so much and and me so much, it, it was a way to remember that filmmaking is still filmmaking. It's not. It didn't suddenly become something completely different now that you're doing it this way. Very much so. Um, I have to ask as well about you know Barbie uh, because that's the other <laughs> film coming out of yeah. your household yeah. over the last couple of years. Um, do you see any kind of through lines? It was because uh, I talked to Noah and he said that there is an element of them being in the same headspace in a weird way. <laughs> do you see that? <laughs> um, well, I, I, I suppose I, I suppose I'll have to say we should talk about it in next true, summer. True. But. Um, <laughs> But I, I definitely it was um, it was a what I will say it was a joyful movie to write and it was a joyful movie to make and now I'm editing it and that's a joyful experience too <laughs> so um, I, I can only hope the audiences feel the same way yeah fingers crossed I mean I, I feel I feel joyful just from seeing the pictures right so, so that's a I. really good start so do I it was like a it was a real. It was a real gift of a of a movie. Yeah. yeah, and you've got choreography in both. You've got sort of you know movement and mm-hmm. bright colors and you know this fabulous dance routine at the end of White Noise. Oh yes, I know, I know. Well, David Newman is such a genius, and that was such a wonderful thing to be able to do. No, I, I definitely also just in, in general, I'd say like I think I can take some amount of credit for um, musicals appearing more prominently in Noah's films. Not that he wouldn't have found Sondheim on his own, but I certainly think I pushed that pushed along that way. in a direction. <laughs> um, no, because these are my particular fashion, fascinations are sort of theater and dance and musicals. And I think, um, you know, you can't help but when you're, you know, living together, making work together, you you end up um, influencing each other. But that's like one of, I mean, I love stories of artists we're in proximity to each other who change each other's work. There's actually a story of um, the choreographer Merce Cunningham lived in the same building in Soho as Jasper Johns, I think. Oh, wow. And he put a flag, just an American flag, 
he got he got one somehow and he put it on the floor of Jasper John's loft and he said I, I sort of thought of you and then Jasper John started painting these flags and I was like well this is so wonderful and that's that's kind of the correct amount of porousness mm-hmm. and um being open to what what's around you and to be you know to be the artist you're going to be but also allow yourself to be changed by, by interacting with <laughs> with your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Any ambitions to do a full-on musical then? Of course. I mean, that's always the that's always the dream. It's, it's I just keep inching closer and closer. Um, no, I think I think. Uh, but, but yeah, I I, lo- I I love movie musicals. I think it's it's one of my favorite forms, and I would love to do it at some point. All right, so that was Greta Gerwig, and now it's time to dig deep into the review section of the show, the films that are out this week in the multiplex and on the sofaplex. Hell's Bells, you spoke to Greta Gerwig, and spoiler alert, Noah Baumbach for an upcoming episode uh, right. on White Noise. Did you tell him to your face, congratulations on the film, I loved the film, and then hated the film, or did you say, congratulations on the film, loved the film, and you meant it? I don't remember my wording, I'll be honest with you, but I did like the film. I thought okay, I was interested in the film. Um, I haven't read the book, I must confess. Oh, really? You haven't read a book? There is a book I haven't read, (laughs) yes. Um, I haven't, yeah, I I haven't got on the Don DeLillo train and and everyone raves about him and and clearly this is is an oversight. The two books Helen hasn't read, Don DeLillo's White Noise and the Super Mario Kart instruction book. (laughs) I mean, I still know who Donkey Kong is though, so I like, you know. Oh, God, she's going to lord this over me now for a while. Red shells fired, red shells fired. (laughs) Is that is that good? It's shots fired, okay, but right, yeah. yeah, red okay. shells. If if you're doing Mario Kart, yeah, um, red shells are really really good. Blue shell oh, is a wow. shell that will take out the guy or or girl. It's hey. the '90s uh, who is in front. Correct. Cool. So wherever you are on the on super the course. important for me to know. Anywho, that Helen, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care though. And this is this is the thing you got to remember. Anywho, white noise. Uh, this is No Bambach directing. Uh, Adam Driver as Professor Jack Gladney, who works at a sort of liberal arts college, small American town in the 1980s. And he and his wife, Babette, um, both of them on their third or fourth marriage, um, have got a, a sort of brood of kids between them. They, they lead busy, interesting lives. Um, but all of their fretting about their life and death is thrown into sharp relief when a toxic cloud is released by a train crash near the town and everyone's lives are put in danger and they have to sort of run for their lives uh, in what is known as the airborne toxic event. Now, this is a film of many chapters Mm -hmm. and the chapters have very little, for me anyway, tonal uh, or thematic connective tissue. It almost feels like several different films that just happen to star the same people uh, coming one after each other. So the, the sort of the disaster movie, a sort of Amblin-esque 1980s disaster movie, if that makes sense, uh, section is really compelling and really exciting and feels like you're watching a film with a plot that's going to places. But the bits on either side of that are much more kind of meandering tone pieces um, that don't make a lot of what you would call conventional plot sense. Uh, they are more about, you know, ideas about life and death, um, ideas about education and knowledge and um, and understanding. And, and they're intentionally weird, very comical at times. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fantastic sort of uh, dueling lectures scene with Don Cheadle and mm-hmm. Adam Driver, which is immense fun. Really, really loved it. But again, I didn't... 
I have not got my head around how all of this is meant to hang together and if indeed it's meant to hang maybe together. Maybe it's not meant to, yeah. Maybe indeed. Mm. Um, I, I did enjoy so many bits of it, but it is that it's that tonal shift where you almost have to start over with every chapter because whatever you were enjoying about the last one, that's just kind of stopped. It's like so it's it's like a car that keeps breaking. It's like bumper cars or something, you know, it keeps breaking and then you have to kind of speed up again. Um and just as you're getting back up to speed, somebody else bumps you from the other side and you're like, oh Okay, got to start again. Mm. Um, so I, I was enjoying all the individual bits, but but yeah, the, the the overall was was odd. And I'm it's a pretty faithful adaptation of the book for those who have read it. Um, How do you know? Because I've talked How to people. You? I've talked to I talk to people sometimes. Okay. You know, um, and do you hang um, out in bookstores near Women versus Hollywood and <laughs> <laughs> just, just framing it with my hands, just ushering people in that direction. Oh, this book is great. <laughs> it is available in all good bookstores and makes a lovely Christmas present. There's people. a cocaine bear on page forty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there isn't, but there might as well be. I, I did enjoy all the bits of it. I just wasn't sure what the overall message or theme or idea kind of was. Um, mm. There is definitely a capitalist satire. There are definitely ideas about facing death and coming to terms with with the end of our own lives and stuff. But beyond that, you know, eh, whatever. But yeah, I, I had a blast. I mean, it's it's really good fun and it goes to some unexpected places. So, all right, yeah, I'm on. Yeah, I am mostly in agreement with you, Helen. I think I liked it a little bit less than you, um, especially in the early going. I found it an uphill str- maybe struggle, not the one, but to get my head around the way in which the characters talk in this film, uh, it, it, took, it took a period of time for me to, okay, I think I've gotten used to the rhythms, the very staccato rhythms, the very everyone's talking over one another type vibe that the film is going for. See, I, I love that. That's like oh, okay. hyper-articulate intellectual family kind of thing. Mm. Um, I just, I, and it's just like when, when you get those, you know, a, even a group of friends and, you know, mm. Oh, everybody's talking across each other at the table I just mm-hmm. I kind of love that 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 felt rang really true for me okay mm. interesting but I agree with you on the uh, performances um, like I, love, I really like Don Cheadle in this his introductory sequence of the whole film is fantastic hey listen um, if you can put Don Cheadle in your movie put Don, put Cheadle, Don, in Don Cheadle in your movie absolutely even if you can't put Don yeah. Cheadle in your movie <laughs> and in terms of you know you're talking about the amount of uh, things this film is in the end. I don't think it's too much for. I don't think it's for spoilers to say, it's, but the the end credit sequence are worth sticking around. Oh yeah, that's uh, true. Basically, is, is, right. is the point that I'm trying to make. So, yeah, I'm I'm very much in the two to three star range with this. It's not my favorite bomb bag. Uh, not not, not by long shot. That that would still be marriage story for me. Oh really? I yeah. I I'm a marriage stories guy. Mm. 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 I love that film. Mm. Really good. When we do the Adam Sandler ranking, and one day we will do the Adam Sandler <laughs> ranking. Oh man, wow. it's gonna be one of the few films people can talk about without going. How many, how many ways can we put Punch Drunk Love at number one? Come hey, on. Punch Drunk Love is not my number one Adam Sandler movie. It's well, Uncle James. Aniston, Wait, right? is it Hubie Halloween? Because it's Hubie Halloween. No, it's it's not. But ah, uh, oh, that's a very good question, Helen. What is my number one Adam mm. Sandler film? I think uh, I uh, Wedding Singer. I mean, it's a yeah, it's a bit bit first place. I think it, but okay. Oh, fuck you. Is it a bit of first place? <laughs> also, Hustle, Hustle, great Hustle film is, on yeah, this okay. list. Oh, this year. Magazine. I know what. A, what <laughs> that was you, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Absolute walking disgrace of a man. <laughs> You come in here with your last crusade, 
it buys you some time and then you shit on Adam Sandler again unbelievable um, don't shit on Adam Sandler by the way that's not, that's not right uh, but yes uh, so Hustle's on Netflix mm-hmm. this is also going to be on Netflix mm-hmm. at the end of the month Correct. I believe yeah. but like Ryan Johnson's Glass Onion it's getting a cinematic release very limited cinematic release that's why we're talking about it this yeah. week and obviously Glass Onion made a load of money in the States I, comparatively speaking their strategy on that film especially is mind-boggling what I don't get about it is that there's been a conversation an interview today with Reed Hastings who's the CEO of Netflix mm. where he's basically said yeah we've left money on the table with our Glass Onion release strategy and it's like no duh <laughs> well then then don't leave it on the table. You know Surely, saying? keep keep extend the theatrical run. I'm sure the the cinema chains that you've partnered with in the states be th- will be more happy. than happy to yep. to do that with this massive per screen average. Then again, you could argue that it was scarcity of product that drove the the high per theater average. Perhaps so, mm. but at the same time, I think that money that movie would have made money in cinemas Absolutely. for a long I think it's yeah. <sighs> It's, Look, it's, this is a whole wider conversation and a, probably a depressing one. So, so let's yeah, let's, let's not let's move on. Uh, three stars, three stars, then for uh, white noise. <laughs> and next up, Violent Night, Killing Night. David Harbour is smoking some fools. A mon woman is going to review the final night. I was so happy. I was having so much fun <laughs> conducting that. You know, I just watched Tar this week as well, so I've gotten some conducting tips now. I'm in that kind of mode. Yeah, uh, I kind of wait to talk about that movie. By the way, uh, you'll have to. It's not out for ages. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, Violet Night uh, stars as you so wonderfully. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I thought, I thought it was all right. Yeah. It was fine. Whoa. 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 <laughs> Hang on, let me just turn my last microphone on. <laughs> uh, no, it's the oldest um, trick of the book. I'm on. But yes, David Harbour is Santa and he's forced to say... <laughs> Sorry, say that again. <laughs> David Harbour is Santa. I like actual Santa. Like yeah. It's important that, that he's not yeah. like a bad Santa. Although he is quite a bad Santa. In Go certain ahead. respects, yes. Yeah. It's weird um, that there, I'm, I'm guessing there's a sizable portion of the population that that is, you've just hit the sexual sweet spot. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right there. I obviously can't comment on that. But uh, I mean, between this and Kurt Russell, I just don't know how I'm supposed to feel about Santa anymore. It's, it's very distressing. It, it, this is. He has a large sack, Helen. It is bulging, and he is very, very keen to give you presents from that sack on Christmas Eve, and he may come down your chimney. That's all I'm going to say. Lord. That's all aggressive. But, uh, wow. yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> hey. I want to read Helen Santa ranking Christmas movie Santa's. That we, did we did that. We did that a couple of years Santa ago. Ranking. We did yeah. a Santa but ranking. But it was a very pure one at that point because, okay. you know, we, we hadn't been introduced to quite so much. No, we had. Kurt, Kurt Russell was... Kurt Russell was I, on it. I remember this because yeah. this was the only time in ranking history, I promise you were going to review Violent Night at some point, <laughs> yeah. but this was the only time in ranking history where there was a four-way tie. Wow. Wow. Because we weren't we weren't evaluating the films necessarily. We, we were evaluating the, the Santas. Santas. Yeah. Okay. And so he, Kurt Russell, was joint with... Richard think, Attenborough, obviously. Richard Attenborough, sure. David Huddleston from Santa, Santa Claus, Claus the, the movie, movie. Mm. and someone else. <laughs> oh, uh, Billy Bob see, Thornton, maybe? I don't know. I'm going to see if I have it on my phone while you guys... While Ed I'm Asner? on... Yeah. Hang on, I've got it. 
All right. Ho, 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 pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. And I'm We're right. not going to read the whole thing. <laughs> okay. No. Uh, the overall. Okay. In number number 10. I love it. Oh, no, God. Why no, no. Doing we're, we're doing number 10. We're doing number 10. Number 10, Tim Allen, the Santa Claus. Should be uh, Number nine, Rich. Whoa. <laughs> Come on. That's Buzz Lightyear. You're dissing. Uh, Richard Reilly. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, for a fairy Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas. But Richard Reilly has played Santa Claus more than any mm-hmm. other actor. Wow. Across a number of movies and TV shows. Uh, number eight, Alec Baldwin, Rise of oh, the yeah. Guardians. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Number seven, Jack Skellington. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't a super success as Santa, but he tried his best, bless him. Yeah, I'm not sure about Jack Skellington. I'm going to quibble he that was, one. No, come on, he was trying to be Santa. Number five, Edmund Gwen from Miracle on 34th Street. Won an Oscar for it, if I remember correctly. Motherfucker. <laughs> number four, no, sorry, number five. Hang on. Yeah, five, Ed Asner. Elf. Elf. Yeah. Uh, and then the joint four were Kurt Russell, David Huddleston, Billy Bob Thornton, who's not playing Santa, but we'll let it go, <laughs> and Richard Attenborough. We, we did have that discussion during We did during have that discussion. Yeah. yeah, some other people did get votes, including Paul Giamatti. Oh. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, um, it's a weird list, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And will, if we were to do it now, would David Harbour, let's see him getting it back, getting yeah, it back. Get the back yeah. Would David Harbour, this is how we win awards, would David seven. Harbour be, I'm, I'm sure I bet he would be in your top ten. <laughs> <laughs> would David Harbour be on that list? Does he give him hell, boy? <laughs> Stranger <laughs> things have happened. I'm running rapidly out of David Harbour projects quickly. I'm on speak. Does he make anyone a Black Widow in this? No, oh, oh that's good. Is yeah. Okay. Uh, Thunderbolt hit you there. <laughs> Walk among the tombstones, anyone? <laughs> and we got all of that all out, all, all out of your system. I don't know. Oh I don't gosh. know. It depends what you're talking. If it's, if it's the cocaine that is coursing through my veins, I, how long does this shit last? Uh. Final night, I'm on. David Harbour playing Santa Claus. Is he any good? He is good, actually. Uh, I enjoyed him in this role. Uh, just to set it up a little bit, uh, finally. What do you mean, finally? <laughs> How dare you? The the Santa that David Harbour is playing is a little bit jaded. You know, he's been doing this a while. He's getting a little bit tired of it, getting a bit tired of the kids and the world and all of the Christmas stuff. Um, but he finds that he is basically going to be tasked with saving this girl when she is, when he is rather the, the living presence and a group of mercenaries come into this house take everyone hostage, uh, demand to get inside a secret vault to rob them of all the money. And Santa's on. is like, nah, I'm not having this. And he's going to try and help uh, this girl who is still sort of, you know, very much not jaded, very much believes in Santa and they form a connection, which I really, really liked. Um, this is also produced by the uh, 8711 Productions, who are, of course, the guys who mm-hmm. the John Wick movies. So when this movie does kick into action mode, it's really, really fun. And I enjoyed it. For the most part, there's one little quibble I have with the action. I'll be intrigued to get your take on this. If you are a bad guy and you have a machine gun in your hand, what you need to do is fire bullets from that machine gun and not do a melee attack with the machine gun, as many bad guys try and do over the course of this film. And when I'm noticing that and thinking about that actively as I'm watching the film, it takes some of the enjoyment out of the action sequences, at least it did, for me. So that was a little bit annoying. Um, the other annoying thing is, aside from uh, the little girl who forms that nice connection with 
uh, David Harbour Santa, which I did enjoy. The rest of the family were a little bit hit and miss for me um, mm -hmm. and dragged the movie down a little bit for me. Uh, th there's a couple of really obvious reveals, which I think the screenwriting could have been better at hiding mm -hmm. um, as well. Um, I did like, on the mercenary side of things, John Leguizamo is really, really a lot of fun. Um, and he, of all the mercenaries, does the best lines in terms of the Christmas puns. There's a lot of Christmas puns in this movie. Sometimes... Cracking. So, so Sometimes it's a little bit overboard of that. It's trying a little bit too hard, but when it lands, when there's a really good one, it's, it's, it's really, really funny. Um, some of the kills in this are really creative, and I did enjoy it. The, the final kill especially, which I'm not going to give any details on. Oh, I watched this in the multimedia with a big crowd, and it got cheers and laughs and all the rest mm. of it, so that was fun. I do think if you watch this with a crowd again who's up for it, you, you will have a good time. Yeah, Fuck him up, Santa. It, 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 I mean, not, not far off that. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I agree with a lot of that. I think that um, the family are intentionally dreadful like these are mm -hmm. billionaire types um the clan is led by beverly d'angelo in a, a nice little nod to your favorite fil uh, film ellen griswold herself yeah. yeah or one of them national lampoon's christmas vacation um, although she's saddled with an, an outrageously bad wig which i really couldn't understand uh, on a character level or an actress level or a filmmaking level or any other way but anyway um it's a really fun fun time i would absolutely see this in the cinema if you can because it is going to be great with the crowd and even the jaded critics of the week mm. of release screening were cackling mm. at that at a couple of these kills um the kills are fantastic the action scenes are really really fun i had issues with a few plot points that were extremely derivative of other movies uh, and i won't give those away because mm -hmm. it would be uh, a massive spoiler to say even the name of the movies mm -hmm. um but like you know i can i can say just the setup you know you're talking about santa being dis disillusioned he goes full on kind of bad santa at times you know it's the, the sort of the hard drinking, throwing up on people, being a bit gross and disgusting kind of stuff. Um, and that, I was a bit like, oh, is this going to be really cliched? But actually, it does have its own identity. He does have his own identity as Santa. Um, <laughs> yes, he does. And, and yeah, he is like uncomfortably sexy. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> there it is. He is very naughty. A very naughty Santa, and he must be punished. In the new Santa ranking, where does David Harbour rank for you? In a new Santa ranking? No, look, I, I don't actually think Santa should be sexy, so I he would not be in my top, like, three or four Santas. Okay. Neither well, Kurt, is Kurt Russell. Oh, interesting. Mm, interesting. He's, he's a very good Santa, but it's not, like, it's, Santa he's should a not bit be sexy. too hot to be... It should be a miracle on 34th Street, not 69th <laughs> exactly. Street, if you know what I mean. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> Did you mention the director? We did not. It no, is okay. um, a Tommy Workola who is who made, of course, Dead Snow. So he's got you know he's got form and kind of comedy horror in the snow, mm -hmm. as well as Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters, which we don't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but no, I, I thought this was a bit of a return to form because he hasn't you know made anything for a while, fun yeah. in a yeah. while, and and uh, this this did work overall for me. We've given it two stars, which I think is wildly harsh. I would three. give it a very solid three. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Two stars then for a violent night. And hey, listen, the change in the audio may indicate it may be a clue that we've had yet another time jump, folks. We've got more time jumps than the MCU. We've got more time jumps than Highlander. This is absolutely wild uh, because it is the 
morning after the day before and uh, you know long story short we were kicked out of our studio yesterday and uh, we decided to reconvene today over Squadcast to polish off the rest of the podcast and thank goodness we did because overnight there was lots of stuff that we should talk about as well but first let's polish off the review section Hell's Bells there's a couple of Christmas related movies you wanted to talk about Yes, there are. So Netflix has released Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, which is a new animated adaptation of the Charles Dickens classic. I don't love the animation style. It's done very much on the cheap, um, I thought. But um, the the actual content, the story is obviously good because it's, you know, you can't really go wrong with A Christmas Carol. Great voice cast as well, led by the likes of uh, Luke Evans and Jesse Buckley. Luke Evans. Um, and it is a musical, so they both get to sing. Now, none of the songs have particularly stuck in my head, but they are not terrible either. They didn't stick in my mind for being dreadful. So, you know, you have that going for you. I, I find it a little bit odd, like it goes into, when it, when he goes on sort of the, the flights through the past and the present and so on, it goes into that kind of cosmic purple, you know, that kind of Marvel cosmic purple. Mm-hmm. And that was weird to me with A Christmas Carol. I feel like we need like a stop motion Guillermo del Toro Christmas Carol, you know, sort of a bit <laughs> grungier, a bit a bit more gothic. And this isn't gothic at all. So yeah. uh, fun, but not for me definitive. Muppets, of course, remains the definitive uh, Christmas Carol. Also out this week is uh, Your Christmas or Mine, which is a really smart idea for a Christmas movie. This stars Asa Butterfield and Cora Kirk as sort of young lovers saying goodbye to each other at Marlebone Station, heading off to their respective family Christmases. And then both of them independently, when they get to their train, think, you know what? I'm going to go spend Christmas at, at their house. And they both swap trains. Mm. So each of them ends up with their partner's family without their partner there to sort of soften the blow. So it's, like that's a that's a good premise for a Christmas movie. It's a sort of fish out of water Christmas movie. Um, really good cast. Also has like Daniel Mays, Harriet Walters, um, uh, Alex Jennings, David Bradley. Really, really good British character actors. Um, I I really enjoyed it. It gets a bit silly at times. It gets you know pushes the kind of comedy a little bit far, mm-hmm. but it is really delightful overall. And where does Scrooge fit into this? Scrooge is not in that one, would you believe? Um, but that one is on, uh, I think it's an Amazon Prime release. It's a Prime video Christmas. release. And the, the other one, which is Scrooge, A Christmas Carol. Is Netflix. Is that what it's called? I'm confused. Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, I, I, yes. It's hard to keep track. Okay, yeah. Okay. That, that's, uh, you know, obviously we had Spirited a couple of weeks ago, original yep. Scrooge inspired songs and, and all sorts. I, I, I quite enjoyed Spirited, I have to say. It's, but, you it's know, fun. It's yeah, fun. it was fun. I, I had a good time. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I liked Violent Night more than we did as well. I'd give yeah, it at least yeah. three. Yeah, you guys were both three. up in it more than the, the two mm. stars. I don't know. But we should stop getting the Grinch to review films, basically, is, <laughs> is my feeling on that. Just real quick on uh, the Scrooge thing, my idea of uh, a Christmas Carol movie about a director trying to make a Christmas Carol movie, but he gets talked out of it by three ghosts of Christmas Carol movies past, present, in the future is still a great idea so back off anyone who's going to steal that idea uh, that is my idea but actually there aren't that many really when we looked at it because we were talking about doing a ranking of Christmas Carol movies and there are only about eight or nine really officially direct ones direct yeah the ones. problem is there are so many inspired by there, there it is mm-hmm. one of the three basic models of Christmas movie there's of course a uh, big city person goes to small town falls in love with hunky stranger um 
there is a member of Santa's family or angel mm-hmm. comes down to to you know fix somebody uh, has to fix something on Earth, and there is a Christmas Carol. And of course, there is cocaine Santa, where Santa <laughs> uh, accidentally ingests a shipment of cocaine that has fallen out of a plane and goes absolutely mm. <laughs> apeshit. Well. Honestly, Violent Santa isn't too far off that. So Violent Night isn't too far off that. So really, I'm here for it. Cocaine Claws. There you go. That is, oh my, that God. is my next movie after I finish A Christmas Carol. Carol, whatever the hell it's called. A Christmas Carol Carol is great. Yeah. yeah. Are you spelling cocaine with a K there? No. Why would I? No. <laughs> Look at the, the claws. Cocaine Claws. It makes claws sense. Claws spelled with claws a spelled C. With a C. Oh, correct. <laughs> Amanda, we had to have a conversation about Santa Claus. <laughs> Look, it's very early in the morning. Amon is not on 100% form yet, I think. Clearly, clearly not. Well, yeah, the cocaine we were all on yesterday has worn off for everybody except me. But, uh, but there you go. Helen's given those films. Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. <laughs> except candy canes. Uh, do candy canes. Anyway, anywhere, anywhere between one and five stars for those two movies that Helen was talking about, whose names I totally remember. Uh, yeah, Scrooge and Your Christmas Are Mine. I, I would give both a very, very solid three. Solid I think. three. A very solid three for Your Christmas Are Mine, a slightly less solid three for, for Scrooge, probably. That is it for the reviews section of the show. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to set up our final guest and then we'll come back and we'll have a quick chat about the three mega traders that dropped overnight. Um, mm-hmm. uh, two of them at least would warrant usually a Trader Breakdown podcast, but we are uh, a little bit short of time uh, at the moment. But our last guest this week is Frank Grillo, a man who needs no introduction. But you're going to give him one anyway, right? <laughs> Yes, lest he beat me up in a lift. Uh, so <laughs> I love Frank Grillo. I think he's absolutely fantastic. Frank Grillo is... He's so good. He mm. is, you know, he is made of granite, as far as I can tell. He's a guy... What age do you think Frank Grillo is? Oh, no, I looked this up, actually, okay. last year, so I know. Okay, you yeah. know, you know, Amon, uh, who's just discovered that Santa Claus isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> what? Breaking my heart. Um, judging by your responses, I'm going to go 41. Interesting. Mm, that is interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's about what he looks, in fairness. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. In that case, my new case is 33. 33. Frank Grillo, of course, an actor who has been around for a little while, burst onto the scene, really made a big breakthrough in 2012 with you know the likes of The Grey and End of Watch and Warrior, you know, really lived in actor he's very very capable physically then graduated to things like crossbones in the in the captain america movies and you know the purge movies and now he's you know he's doing all sorts of stuff like boss level and cop shop and this Mm -hmm. week he is playing the creator of the lamborghini sports cars in a movie called lamborghini the man behind the legend um a movie which tells the story of lamborghini's life uh and frank grillo has the life experience to do this amon because frank grillo is 57 years old Get the hell out of here. No, he is not. He is. What? Born 8th of June, 1965 in New York, New York. <laughs> That's insane. That's insane. 57. He is yeah. a I need, very no, well preserved I need to see 57. the birth certificate. I need to see the birth certificate. I don't believe that. That's insane. <laughs> yep. Is he drinking the same juice that Keanu is? What, what is Look, I'm telling you, like guys, like exercise, it's, it's a superpower. 
You know? Ex- what, sorry, ex- so what? Ex- yeah, don't worry about it. Have you heard this word before? Exercise? No, every time I hear about it, I pass out. But, uh, but you know, the people that are saying that, you know, <laughs> grilling your food is healthy, and clearly that is hey. the case. Anyway, uh, I spoke to Frank Grillo. He was in Rome a couple of weeks ago for the premiere of Lamborghini, the man behind the legend. And uh, we had a, a chat, and he's. You know, he's Frank by name, Frank by nature. I had an absolute blast talking to Frank Grillo, a man who takes no prisoners. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Lamborghini, the man behind the legend, the man, the legend himself, Frank Grillo. How are you, brother? I'm good, 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 good. Not too bad at all. I'm not in Rome, so I think you're winning. No, you're not. You're not in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> One nil to Grillo. Uh, so <laughs> how's Rome treating you? Oh man, uh, we, I've been here for about a week. Uh, we shot the movie here, but mm. I've been here for about a week and, you know, I thought they were going to have like a little screening and stuff, but it's been like a real Hollywood extravaganza for, for the launching of the movie at the Rome Film Festival. And then I just stayed here. My son, my, t- my 25 year old son's with me. So we just, we've been riding bikes around Rome for a week. <laughs> it's nice. Any, any nice sights? Anything that you might want to, you know? We have literally seen everything both during the day and we go when everybody's asleep, we go ride these bikes, these electric bikes through the city. And it's kind of surreal. You know, I'm, I'm kind of sitting there talking to him about the Coliseum pointing up and it's uh, there's no one on the street. And it's just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so they've opened the doors for Frank Grillo. This is amazing. Yeah. And the whole the whole city knows I'm here. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the other day on your on your Instagram, you were you were uh, I think uh, there was a screening of the movie, maybe even the premiere of the movie. Yeah, and you uh, you did a video where you were like, "One of these beautiful Lamborghinis is coming home with me." So have you been have you been screeching around the streets of Rome in a Lambo or just on the bikes? They won't even let me near those cars. <laughs> but I want to make all my friends at home jealous and have them believe that <laughs> I'm going to take home a 1970 Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should. Surely, you got it written into your contract that that's that's what you're getting. The suits. That's about as good as it gets. Uh, so, so Frank, tell me about this. I mean, because you know, is this is this a role? Is this a is this a film as close to your heart? It has become close to my heart, as has uh, Bobby Moresco, the writer director. Uh, and you know, the journey of the film was an interesting one because they shot half the movie, which is like the first half of Frucho's life when he was young. Um, and then it went down for a while and Banderas was supposed to come and play uh, Lamborghini. And I had, I came in on short notice after he kind of fell out uh, and just trusted Bobby because I didn't have time to really prepare a lot. And uh, which I think actually helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we became really just wonderful, wonderful friends. And he's a beautiful guy and super talented. I mean, he, he wrote, uh, crash and, and million dollar baby with paul haggis and uh we we started this what i think is a lifelong friendship um so it's been it's been a wonderful journey with this movie and i saw it and i was i was really happy with what it is um for what they had in time and in money to make it i think it's a it's a really terrific movie so so how do you plug into a role at, at such short notice and how short is that notice by the way so when did you get the call Ten days. 10 days. And I had just come off a film where I was playing a guy who was a badass kind of special ops guy killing the world. And, um, you know, I was in that, that mind frame, you know, running around with the M 16s and, and, uh, literally saving the world from whoever was bad at the moment. And I got the call and, you know, they had wanted me to do some sort of an accent. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know what? 
I'm, I've not gotten, somehow I'm in this world of action thriller kind of medium to low budget films, which is great. I make a great career out of it. But uh, this was something I couldn't say no to. You know, I, I to go do a biopic about an amazing Italian uh, icon in Italy, where I'm from, where my family's from. I mean, it was like, yes, I'll probably fail miserably, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> but you, you throw yourself in. I, I come from an immigrant family. So I have been surrounded since birth by a bunch of Italians screaming in Italian. And I was like, okay, I don't know. I, I, I read up in as, as much as I could on, on, on Lamborghini, the man. And then I was like, I'm going to make an interpretation here of who I think he might have been. And I kind of did my thing, you know. Um, and I think it really helped me because I didn't I didn't get to overthink anything. I didn't have time. And that's really what kills people in the arts is when they overthink shit. So uh, I, I was, you know, my face, it looks different because there's some prosthetics on it. And I sound different, obviously. And I, I, I'm my worst critic. I, I, I can't watch myself, but I sat through the movie and I, I was, I, I was choked up. I was actually kind of, I wish my parents were alive. Oh man. That's beautiful. Yeah. 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 So you, you, you can't watch yourself uh, at all. Is that something that you've had? I, I, I can't even like when, when the hair person takes a photo and wants to show me, I'm like, I can't even look at photos of myself. I, I, I it's weird. When I'm home, I can look in the mirror. I, that's fine. Uh, but I can't, when it comes to the, the working, and I never look at dailies. I don't want to look at the monitor. I don't want to see what I look like. Because then I start to get in my head, and it, it, it kind of wigs me out a bit. I can, I can see that. I can see that. But as well, I don't know if this is a newsflash for you, Frank. You're a good-looking guy. So there's nothing, there's no vanity. There's nothing about, oh, that, that bit's off. Or... I don't see it. I see a lot of problems. <laughs> I got a lot. In the words of Robert De Niro, you got a lot of problems. No. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Honestly, that makes me feel a lot better about myself. If if you can't look at yourself, then I feel okay. I feel all right. Uh, you know, and when I do look at myself, I don't say nice things. <laughs> leave, leave that to other people. But but as you said there, Frank. I mean, you know, pretty much over the last ooh, 10, 10 years or so since. Roughly since 2011, 2012, when you you, know, you had Warrior and the Grey and, and End of Watch, you know you have you have become known for action movies and and for thrillers and sci-fi and yeah yeah it's it's been you know again I I, I live in this world this uh, you know this medium to lower budget films that I I really love making them because there's a lot of creative freedom and I get paid really well I get to take care of my family and I get to travel around the world. So, you know, people sometimes give me a lot of ha a hassle and hard time about doing so many movies or this movie doesn't good. Or I, I'm not in control of how the movies turn out. I'm in control of my performance. That's really all I can do as an actor. But I, I, I kind of love doing it. I, you know, and, and uh, you know, I've become very good friends with Liam Neeson since The Grey. And, you know, Liam was a very accomplished, serious, dramatic actor. And you know what he loves doing? He loves doing action movies. It's fun. And uh, and like I said, they pay you well. I mean, who doesn't want to do that for a living? But how, how did they come about in a way? Because I mean, I'm looking back at that 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 year, and it seems to me that it almost 
every 10 years, something happens in your career it, 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 in a year ending with a two. So you've got Lamborghini this year. 10 years ago, you have you have End of Watch, you have The Grey, you have, War- you have Warrior. Basically on the, on, the, uh, on the tail of one another. And that changed my life because now I was in the movie business. And, you know, I could have kind of been, been a bit more selective and, uh, but, you know, things would come my way. And another movie I got, I got in trouble for is Wolf Warrior 2. But these, these movies were kind of like milestones in my life. That movie made a billion dollars in China and other places around the world. And that kind of cemented me around the world as an action star, as an action, a person who can carry action. I'm also a very physical dude. Like I train with professional fighters every day. I live in that world as much as I live, if not more in the entertainment business. I'm I'm always around fighters. I'm always in gyms. I did a Netflix docu-series called fight world because I'm obsessed with what makes people fight. Um, so, so I'm a physical guy. I I'm very well trained in, in, in the martial arts and in striking arts. And so it's all authentic and I'm, I'm a little bit of a throwback. <laughs> you know, I'm an older guy. I'm a little bit of a throwback to the Charles Bronson, you know, era, uh, for people who remember Charles Bronson. <laughs> I'm, I'm very authentic on screen when it comes to, you know, being a tough guy, you, you know, which I don't consider myself a tough guy, but I know how to be one. I mean, I, I really do. And I, you know, coming from a world of, of Hollywood where there's a lot of fake tough guys, and I'm here to tell you there are, they're mostly fake tough guys. Um, you know, there's a niche. I, I created a niche for myself. <laughs> from my perspective, it seems to be a case of making up for lost time. Oh, I still am. You know, this, this, this whole thing started late in life for me. I've been an actor for a long time and, you know, middling and, you know, failed pilots and this and, you know, to becoming a person who gets movies greenlit and, you know, getting offers all the time and trying to figure out which way to go and trying to take care of my family. Um, but I don't have much time left. So it's like I, I'm going to do as much as I can for as long as I can, as long as I stay healthy. And I'm going to do it for me. I'm not really worried what people think. Quite right. I mean, uh, talking about have not having much time left is what well, you're 57 now, Frank. Which yeah. is, yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ! If I looked like you when I'm 57, I'll be doing I'll be doing very well. No, I mean, thank you, but but and I work hard. It, you know, it's a lifestyle, and and I work hard to to maintain my my physicality because it's an important. First of all, it, it I want to stay healthy, but it's an important part of my career. And, and at this point, it's kind of what I've become known for is this, you know, is being an older guy who's in great shape and can fight on, on screen. So what am I going to do? Am I going to, am I going to try to kind of, I remember when Jim Carrey was freaking out because nobody took him seriously as a dramatic actor. And I would go, wait a minute, you're Jim Carrey. You're maybe one of the greatest comedic actors, film actors that I've ever seen. Why? What are you so hell bent about being taken seriously as a dramatic actor? But by the way, comedy way harder than drama, way harder than drama. And it's for me. I'm like, uh, what am I going to do? Am I going? Am I going to fight this? Am I going to? Am I going to reject what is being offered to me because I have some idea about what I think I should be or what somebody else thinks I should be? No way. No way. I'm so grateful 
that at my age, and me and Liam Neeson joke about this because he's 10 years older than I am even. And, uh, you know, all he keeps saying, how's the knees? How's the knees? <laughs> we don't talk about acting. We talk about our body parts. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what kept you going, Frank, through those, those, those fallow years when parts weren't coming your way? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, in all my life, I, I was born with this grit and this stick to I, I, whether it's trying to screw a, 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 a trying to a drill a screw into concrete or, or it's, you know, trying to get an A in a subject, I just don't stop until I get it. And if I didn't have this innate ability to never say die, I would have quit a hundred times, a thousand times, you know, but I don't, I don't quit. I don't, I just do not give up. And I, you know, I was convinced I could do this. And, and I was like, I'm not going to let anybody fucking tell me I can't, and I'm going to be successful at it in some form. You know what I mean? Look, not everybody could be Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise, but in, in, in my family, certainly I'm successful. <laughs> so, so, um, and I'm grateful, man. I'm, I'm appreciative and I'm grateful. I mean, I'm walking down the streets of Rome and people constantly taking pictures and, and I say, take every picture and I sign every autograph. And because I'm like, yes, like, thank you for, for, you know, watching whatever the hell I do. Um, you know, it's, it's all shits and giggles, man. <laughs> Cause yeah, in a way by having success relatively later in life, yeah. Did you bypass your asshole phase? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm always going to be an asshole. <laughs> I'm an asshole when I'm at work and people don't know what they're doing. I become right. an asshole, right? Yeah. I'm an asshole when uh, people are late. I'm an asshole. But I'm me. I've always been this guy. I wear the same clothes. I go to the same fucking restaurants. I hang out with the same friends. I'm not interested in award shows. I'm not interested in Hollywood parties. I'm not interested in any of that bullshit. I go to the gym every day, hang out with my same friends, and I, I take care of my kids. And that's what I love doing. And that's what I'll keep doing till the day till the day I die. I just happen to have a little bit more money. <laughs> <laughs> Well, can you clear something up for me? Because when I was doing research for this, and I was reading interviews that you had done, and obviously reading all your all your biographies on the internet, uh, and one thing that comes up constantly is that you made your movie debut in the Mambo Kings. Nope, that's not me. I don't know why. I, it's not me. There must be somebody named Grillo in that movie. There is somebody called Grillo in that movie. It's a it's a drummer and a percussionist called Mario Grillo. And yeah, that, that, he's Mario Grillo. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Any relation? Early on, early on, people would say, oh, I loved you in the Mambo Kings. And I would just go, oh, thanks. <laughs> By the way, I wish I was in the Mambo Kings. That was a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Antonio Banderas. So it all comes around. It all comes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you called him to thank him for dropping out of Lamborghini yet? No, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> we did, uh, we did um, Hitman's Bodyguard 2 together. But we didn't work together, and I was hoping to see him there, but I never got to see him. It's so ironic. But it's worked out in the end. And uh, what's next for you? Uh, I go home to L.A. I just finished a movie in Puerto Rico, and then I came to Rome, and now I go home. I just bought a new house, so I get to move into my house over the holidays. And then in January, I go off and do a movie in uh, New Mexico. <laughs> Amazing. I love you do so many movies. You're trying to remember which one, <laughs> which one's where. 
I'm telling you, it's like I said, shits and giggles. I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, on that note, Frank Grillo, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Okay, that was Frank Grillo. Lamborghini, the man behind the legend, is out now, folks. It's out now on digital download if you wish to purchase it. Uh, and let's now finish off the podcast by talking very briefly about the three big trailers that dropped overnight. Uh, there's a Comic-Con happening right now in Brazil, which frankly seems to have a more impressive lineup and, and trailers <laughs> than Comic-Con in San Diego. I want to go to the one in Brazil, please. Thank you, next year. Uh, and a couple of big ones dropped from that. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny mm-hmm. yeah. is the title of the movie. Um which is interesting. If you want to read more about that movie, of course, you can pick up the new issue of Vampire Magazine. It's on sale right now. Talk about, you know, in which Nick spoke to Harrison Ford, James Mangold, Kathleen Kennedy, all sorts of people, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, about the movie. But this was our first proper look at it in motion. What do we Mm -hmm. think about it? Harrison Ford, de-aged indie shenanigans in the 1960s. Good stuff? Yeah. It it looked a lot more action-packed than I maybe was fearing it would be, you know, and th- and that he was doing a lot more action, or at least his stunt person, was doing a lot more mm-hmm. action than I sort of feared might be the case. It Like, it feels indie-ish. There's a lot of running about on top of trains. There's horse chases. There's, you know, um, the, the, that fantastic little joke with the whip uh, at the end of the trailer. Uh, it, it, looks, it looks immense fun. I, I do slightly worry that they have put every single action beat in the movie into this trailer, um, but... You know, it it feels like an Indiana Jones movie in a way that is really exciting. I mean, God, it's been so many decades since we saw one of those. 1989. 1989, 1989 was the last one. Indiana yeah, Jones incredible. movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this trailer. John Williams' Indiana Jones theme, on the list of things that will guarantee to put a smile on my face, that is very high up on that list. Um, and it Cocaine really did. is another one, isn't it, Amon? Uh, <laughs> We all we oh all love cocaine. Don't do drugs, kids. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so so yeah, it was just great to hear that theme again, and the de aging looks really really good. It's very Honestly, impressive. This is, this yeah, a, this is just a small sample size right now, but mm-hmm. from what I'm seeing, it looks really good, which is really impressive. It's nice to see that we have now come that far with that technology to make it look like that. So yeah, I'm I'm I'm. My my optimism is growing. This combined with the cover feature that I read, my optimism is 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 growing for this film, which is which is what I which is what I want, which is what I like. So mm-hmm. yeah, fingers crossed. The more we see, uh, the happier we are. Yeah, yeah. This one looks good. Yeah, certainly my uh, excitement levels are increasing. You know, trust in Jim, in Jim Mangold. Yeah, there's a couple of effect shots that I think are a little bit shonky. There's a there's an early bit where Indy swings from one car to another, and it's clearly a digital mm. double, and it's there's no weight to that figure. But you know, I'm sure this is stuff that they can fix. They can fix. Yeah, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. this is only a trailer. We, we trailer. all know that they yeah. they they tweak things. But after there's this. loads of stuff in here. You got Phoebe Waller Bridge. You got a little sense of the spiky relationship between her and 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 Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones. He looks great. There's a sense mm. of of weight to it as well. We get um, obviously DH. Indie, how that's going to work. We get a little look at Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, you don't have to be Mads to work here, but it helps. You get a little look at uh, Boyd Holbrook, who is also going to be mm. uh, nefarious from the looks of things. A wrong one, yeah. Looks Boyd like. Holbrook, nefarious? No. <laughs> he, 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 I, I don't think he can, pull, he can pull that off. Never going to happen. Uh, you get a look at John Reese davies as, as Salah, the, the second best Egyptian yeah. Salah. Uh, and I am very, very <laughs> excited about that. 
Um, I don't know whether he's going to be running down the wing at any point, but maybe Indy will. Uh, and then, of course, you get Toby Jones. And uh, for a brief instant, you get Toby Jones. We know this is going to be Harrison Ford's last go-round as Indiana Jones. My new theory mm-hmm. is that the franchise now becomes Toby Jones and the dot, dot, dot. And it's a series that just follows the actor Toby Jones as he go to, goes about his business. Amazing. Yeah, well, I'm sold. Um, Dial of Destiny, though, what do we think? I mean, it's it's not it's no pick of destiny, but it's, it's, it's better than a loom of fate, I suppose. So, oh, my yeah. God. I hope this is a musical. I hope this starts with kick, kick a poo. That would be amazing. A long ass fucking time ago in a town called kick a poo. Oh, I love that so much. Oh, so it's good. just a they tribute. They contacting Jack Black right now to do the song. They should the be. song for this film. Oh, that would be amazing. Indiana. That's that's what he would do. Anyway, um, so that looks good. There was also uh, type fifteen. There was also a a trailer for a film called Guardians of the Galaxy Fall Three. Does anyone know anything about this? Mm. Hmm. That sounds, I mean, exciting and interesting. But no, never heard of it. it? Uh, No, this this was this was good. You know me. I'm a bit of a Guardians. Not a hater, but I'm a skeptic. I did. I really mm. didn't like Volume Two yeah, very Guardians much at all. Grinch. <laughs> I, I think that's a little harsh, but um, but I I thought this was pretty cool looking, and it it gives us it gives us little tidbits of what's in store without you know I think establishing the entire film in the trailer, which is nice. Um, it it promises Zoe Saldana is back. That's great news. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm slightly worried for Rocket. There was oh. there was a little bit of speculation oh. on, last night. More that, than slightly worried. <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh. But like yeah, everything seems to be in order here. I am. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm looking forward oh to. Oh my god! Rabbit, fire up the pod. I'm on. <laughs> it looks Hold really me. really good. Hold me. I, I honestly, I, I, it's so weird. Like the the big emotional reaction I had to a trailer last night was not indie. It was Guardians. Uh, mm. I am. I. Oh my god. I'm. I'm gonna be. I. I, I don't know. It's so weird. I'm gonna feel all the feels. I'm gonna be. I, I think I'm gonna be in floods in the queue for yeah. this. Uh, <laughs> let alone in the movie itself. I love the Guardians so much. Do you think do you think we'll be hugging each other more or less than we did after the No Way Home screen? <laughs> no Way Home had the had the buzz of all those cameos that really put us over the top. Yeah. I don't think this movie's gonna have that. Although I still wouldn't be surprised mm. if Kang shows up in some capacity. But uh, I think The Conqueror. Yeah, I think we're gonna be holding each other. I really hope that it's gonna be a hug of joy and elation rather than a hug. Mm. of sadness not sadness for the quality of the movie because I think James Gunn's going to smash that in the park but I think mm-hmm. you know I, I am worried that not all the Guardians are going to walk away from this and that's yeah. that makes me sad yeah yeah, but yeah now that the trailer hit all the beats within two minutes in terms of the emotion uh, the humour <laughs> the bit where Drax throwing the ball at the kid <laughs> and then getting the ball back was, was funny and then just the coolness like the, it slowly slowly ramps up and then you get We Are Groot, and then Groot, Rocket, and Quill firing all of the guns. I would like to see that full scene, please, and I would like to see that full scene now. If we have a longer podcast, and I had a great idea yesterday, which is we're obviously, we are now going to do a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, spoiler special, at some point, you know, busy schedules, we're going to try and find time to do it next week, and we're yeah. going to yeah. accordion that together with a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 trailer breakdown, so, you know, because the, the holiday special is a lot of fun, but it's a bit slight, and there's not a lot to get into in mm-hmm. terms of the wider MCU stuff. So, you know, this will be a nice way to, to you know, 
get us to the hour, I think. But but also, you know, there is a lot to talk about here. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so nervous about this, but I loved it. Mm. Loved it. One additional thing I could like to say about both, I guess, the Garden's Holiday special and the little bits that we get in this trailer. I love that we are already seeing how much closer the Guardians have gotten between films. Um, not only with what happens with Mantis in the holiday special, but even when in the trailer, Rocket says, Pete, I'm done running. Like, I think that's the first time I've heard Rocket call Quill Pete. Um, mm. And that to me is a sign like these guys are now really an even closer family unit than they have been Previously, which was the time jump because you know the last time yeah. you know, both Guardians movies take place in 2014, so they, and they've been together you know as a group now for for quite some time. And without Gamora, I'm fascinated to see how she gets back into the whole thing. And obviously, we've seen shots of her, that, so she does mm. get back into the fold. So anyway, this, yeah. let's not do this now. Let's do it when we get together for the yeah. thing. Tide fifteen, tide fifteen, tide fifteen. Anyway, the last trailer that dropped yesterday, um, Amon's been practicing. So here we go. <laughs> Amon Mormon, roll out. <laughs> yeah, Peter Cullen. I mean, that is the main reason that I'm any kind of excited for this movie. He what is, is this just, movie, Amon? This is Transformers <laughs> colon Rise of the Beasts. Rise um, of the Beasts. Which, uh, yeah, it's got Optimus Prime and the Autobots teaming up with the Maximals, which are <laughs> good guys who can transform into a beast mode. Uh, so uh, the gorilla-looking Maximal that we see in this trailer is voiced by Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman That's, uh, and that's Optimus Ram Primal, Big is that correct? Optimus Primal, that is correct. Yes. What? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. A, I, 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 there was a cartoon called Beast Wars, uh, which I watched way back in the day. Yes. Um, which had character, which which had Optimus Primal and, and all, all all these things. So, so it's interesting to see those two worlds collide. But yeah, it's all about Peter Cullen for me. This is year thirty-eight of him voicing Optimus Prime. He first started voicing him in nineteen eighty-four, and he's still perfect for that character. He is on my voice acting Mount Rushmore along with Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill. I probably put James Earl Jones on there too. Um, but yeah, um, it's just great to hear him giving us fresh vocals. And I know that the Transformers franchise hasn't always been, you know, a uh, hit. Good. Um, <laughs> but to those people, I would say, one, um, this is following on from Bumblebee, uh, which was genuinely good. Um, I hope that we can all agree on that. Yes, Helen? Of course. Okay. I, I, I think there have been two good Transformers films: the first one and Bumblebee. Well, I got I got time for um, the third one as well, but that's a different well, conversation. That's nice for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will also say that this is not directed by Michael Bay; it's directed by Stephen K. Paul Jr. Mm -hmm. The last film that he made was Creed Two, and mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty good. Yes. So, um, you know, that is also a cause for opt optimism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Opt optimus Prime. Optimism. Optimism. <laughs> good. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then you got the the Peter Cullen of it all, and look the the action in this. It looks know, cool. It, it looks cool. Like people, the, all the bots, robots transforming into cars and then back again, or in this case, into beast mode and then back again will never not be cool. Mm. And the final sort of 10, 20 seconds where it's like the all the bots and the Maximals against the Decepticons and the Predacons and they're colliding. It, it did get me hyped. 
All right. Okay. So uh, yeah, I'm 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 on the fence about this one, but yeah, Stephen Cable Jr. did a good job of Creed too, and uh, I wasn't that excited about it until I saw the trailer and realized that Optimus Prime is in it, and I'm always there for Optimus Prime because I love that dude. Um, he mm. just, I just, he, he gets me. He gets He's me. One of the best fictional leaders of all time. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. He, and there's no argument with the character. Yeah. Just you know. The last night. I mean, come on. Yeah, come no, on, it was bad. But it, it's my understanding <laughs> that uh, he basically ingests a mound of cocaine that's fallen out of. <laughs> is, is that true? This is cocaine prime. <laughs> I'd be up for that. Anyway, anyway, now we've beaten that joke successfully into the ground. Um, <laughs> that is it. I think that's it. Right? We're we're good. I think that's we're it. Transformers: yep. Rise of the Beast. We're like, yeah, we're going to release our big trailer, and the internet's going to go wild about it. And it did for three seconds, and then they dropped the indie trailer, and then they dropped Guardians Three. Oh, poor old Optimus Prime, shedding a single robotic tear. A little bit of WD forty going down his his face. Yeah, I'm still excited. Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> wow. Uh, anyway, on that note, that is it for this week's. Episode. Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Antoine Fuqua. He's going to be Ooh. on next week's podcast, the director of Emancipation, and uh, of course, the forthcoming The Equalizer 3, the greatest movie ever made. Uh, <laughs> and we may also be joined, I think it's next week, by Alejandro G. Inaritu. There you go. Two directing heavyweights on next week's Empire podcast. Anyway, speaking of heavyweights, time to say goodbye to two of the greatest podcasters who were available within this very, very short window of time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. My two colleagues of such lethal cunning, Amon Warman. Peace. <laughs> I'm, I'm still working on Optimus Prime. It's been a while. It's been My a while. name is Optimus Prime. It's great. You know, a bit. Oh, so good. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> another time. <laughs> Peter Colin Forever is his squadcast name. Mrs. Claus is her squadcast name. It's Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. I was a bit out of inspiration this morning, I'll be honest. I was like trying to log in quickly. Ah, I don't know what to uh, do. My yeah, I know. So it's one of those things. But, you know, what can you do? Uh, and it's goodbye yeah. from me, Cocaine Hewitt. And uh, <laughs> it's funny for anyone who knows don't me. Don't do drugs, kids. It's funny for anyone who knows me. Because <laughs> I've obviously never, ever done drugs. Anyway, um, can you imagine what I would be like if I had? Anyway. Uh, yes, that's enough for me. I'm off now to watch... The official greatest movie of all time. No, not Sean Dillman, Fang Trois, Quai de Commerce, 1080 Bruxelles. No, 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 no. I'm going to get high on coke, break into the editing suite, and watch the living fuck out of Cocaine Bear. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Goodbye! Cocaine Bear! Oh, boy. (laughs) 